Council begins now. Good afternoon, everyone. Today's meeting is being interpreted into Spanish. Sam and Alejandro, would you please introduce yourself and let our viewers know how to enable translation on their devices? Yes, thank you for having us today. Hello, everyone. My name is Sam Guzman uh, with the CLC, and along with my colleague Alejandro, we will be interpreting today's meeting into Spanish. I will now give the instructions in Spanish on how to access interpretation. Buenas tardes a todos. Mi nombre es Samuel Guzman con la CLC. Juntamente con mi colega Alejandro estaremos interpretando la reunión de hoy al español. Si desea escuchar la reunión en español, por favor vaya a su pantalla a través de Zoom y busque el icono de globo que dice interpretación. Y de ahí puede seleccionar a la preferencia en español. Muchas gracias and thank you very much. Thank you, Sam. Welcome to the Denver City Council meeting of Monday, December 18th, 2023. Council members, please rise as you are able and join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you very much. And council members join Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez as she leads us in the Denver City Council land acknowledgement. Thank you, Madam President. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Denver City Council honors and acknowledges that the land on which we reside is the traditional territory of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. We also recognize the 48 contemporary tribal nations that are historically tied to the lands that make up the state of Colorado. We honor elders past, present, and future, and those who have stewarded this land throughout generations. We also recognize that government, academic, and cultural institutions were founded upon and continue to enact exclusions and erasures of indigenous peoples. May this acknowledgement demonstrate a commitment to working to dismantle ongoing legacies of oppression and inequities and recognize the current and future contributions of indigenous communities in Denver. Thank you very much. Madam Secretary, roll call, please. Alvidris Hines here. Here. Romero Romero Campbell. Here. Sawyer. Here. Flynn. Here. Gilmore? Here. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Here. Cashman? Here. Lewis? Present. Parody? Sandoval? Here. Watson? Here. Madam President? Here. Eleven members present. Thank you very much. There are 11 members present. Council has a quorum. Uh, we have several council members out due to positive COVID tests. So thank you for joining us virtually and not in chambers. <laughs> Approval of the minutes. Are there any corrections to the minutes of December 11th? Seeing none, those minutes stand approved. Council announcements. Are there any announcements tonight? If you're online, please just raise, use your hand raise function if you have an announcement to make. Councilwoman Sawyer. 
Thank you, Madam President. Uh, we're coming up on the end of the year here, so I just wanted to remind all District 5 residents that the final day to take our annual District 5 resident survey is December 31st. So if you haven't had a chance to take it yet, uh, we've had over 1,600 responses so far. Um, it's a great survey and a great opportunity to connect with your council office and tell us um, what your favorite things are about living in District 5 and what some of your concerns are about living in District 5. And it's really important because that's how we shape our 2024 work plan to make sure that we are responding to the needs of our constituents. So uh, you can find the link for that on our social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, or um, Instagram at Denver Council 5. Please feel free to take that survey by December 31st. And then just a quick announcement as well. Um, we are going to be hosting our first ever uh, District 5 Projects Night, um, January 30th at George Washington High School from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. So it's a great opportunity for residents to come. It's an open house format. A number of city agencies will be there um, to ask is to answer your questions or um, you know talk through some of your concerns. So please join us uh, if you're a District 5 resident on January 30th um, for District 5 Projects Night. Thanks, Madam President. Thank you very much. Councilman Watson. Thank you, Madam President. I uh, wanted to announce that for City Council District 9, we have a community information meeting uh, this Thursday, um, December 21st, 6 to 7.30 p.m. at the Johnson Recreation Center. That's um, at the Johnson Recreation Center. We are having a discussion concerning the Housing 1000 plan um, specific to the Radisson Hotel. So we're asking folks to come out, provide your input, we look forward to seeing our neighbors in District 9. We also have a um, survey for District 9. So please also visit uh, District 9 um, uh, website to fill out that survey. That will help us to prioritize issues important to you and your families in City Council District 9. Thank you so much, Madam President. Thank you, Councilman. Uh, seeing no one else in queue, there are no presentations. There are no communications. We do have two proclamations being read this afternoon. Councilwoman Sandoval, will you read Proclamation 23-1910? Thank you, Council President. Proclamation 1910, it takes a village supporting children and families in Denver. Whereas the Office of Children's Affairs is dedicated to supporting the well-being, safety, and development of the whole child through connecting various stakeholders advocating on behalf of children, of ch kids and families to remove barriers and investing in equitable and impactful programs to lead across the self-serving field, the child-serving field, sorry. And whereas OCA's public health approach strives to create a child-friendly ecosystem where every child has a safe and supportive space to learn, grow and play while also creating opportunities for families to be physically, mentally, and e economically secure. And whereas OCA recognizes that it takes a village to achieve the vibrant and thriving city that Denver kids deserve. And OCA is fortunate to work with a co coalition of passionate, enthusiastic partners who are committed to delivering on that promise. And whereas Early childhood education and childcare are essential first steps in promoting healthy development. And the doulas, family, friend, and neighborhood care providers, great Denver Great Kids Head Start delegates, 
and other professionals providing those services ensure the youngest Denverites are academically, emotionally, and physically ready for school. And whereas Tasty Foods has provided over 1.7 million free healthy meals to Denver kids at recreation centers, public libraries, migrant shelters for over the past decade with 200,000 more projected in 2024. And whereas the Denver After School Alliance works with hundreds of nonprofits providing high quality, comprehensive out of school time programming for over 100,000 kids over a decade. And whereas OCA serves over 3,800 youth annually, annually through the many nonprofit community-based organization partnerships providing deep, intimate support for diverse groups of young people in alignment with the city's youth violence prevention and mental health strategic plans. And whereas many offices and agencies of the city and county of Denver expand their focus to include an emphasis on children and families to ensure every decision made by city leaders is made with families front and center. Whereas Denver Preschool Program, Prosperity Denver Fund, and other special revenue fund organizations are providing an innovative and impactful support for Denver's young people from early childhood to post-secondary education, encouraging Denver's growth for kids, young adults, and the Denver economy. And whereas community cap collaboration groups in Sunnyside, Globeville, La Alma, and the soon-to-be Kennedy neighborhood have fostered a strong, unified commitment to bring neighborhood partners together with city agencies to both respond to disruptive incidents and work to build preventative environments for parts of the city that will provide more pro-social activities and supports and supports for young people. And whereas Denver Public Schools is an active participant in many collaborative groups and works with the city to align priorities and outcomes for students and families and community hubs and other strategic projects. And whereas these and other partnerships are essential to ensuring that the city and county of Denver is a child-friendly city for generations of young Denverites and every generation to follow. Now, therefore be it proclaimed by the Council of the City and County of Denver, Section 1, that the Council of the City and County of Denver proclaims December 18, 2023, as it takes a village in Denver and extends its sincerest and most profound appreciation to the vast coalition of partners providing resources and services to ensure all Denver children and families have opportunities to thrive. Section two, that the clerk of the city and county of Denver shall affix the seal of the city and county of Denver to the proclamation and copies be transmitted to the Melissa on behalf of the Office of Children's Affairs, many partners. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Um, I'd like to welcome Councilwoman Alvidres, who has joined us online. Um, Councilwoman Sandoval, your motion to adopt. 
I move that Proclamation 1910 be adopted. Thank you. And that's been moved and seconded. Comments by members of council. We'll start with Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, Councilwoman. Thank you, Council President Torres. Um, I am proud to be um, reading this on behalf of all of the partners of the Office of Children's Affairs. Over the last year, my office has worked collaboratively with the Office of Children's Affairs to create a partnership that meets at Aslan Rec Center to deal with some of the issues that we've had with youth violence over the years. And so that when incidents happen, we have a chain of phone call chain of people who we can contact. As a mom of somebody who, two children who have used Denver Rec Centers and as an aunt who's helping raise my niece, I can't say enough about how helpful the Office of Children's Affairs is and their community partners. They, um, they have personally reached out to my niece who goes to North High School, who is a senior, who um, would be a statistic if it weren't for a lot of our community partners. And just want to go on to say um, thank you all for the opportunity to bring this forward and to read this proclamation on behalf of all of our community partners. And I think the name It Takes a Village in Denver is so fitting. It took a village to raise me. It's taken a village to raise my niece. It's taken a village to raise my two kids. And it's taken a village to get the things done that we need to get done in Denver. So I don't think it just takes a village for children. I think it takes a village for a lot of the work that we are doing here and that we're actually going to be working on tonight. It will take a village for all of us to get migrants housed and jobs. It will take a village for us to address the unhoused issue that's facing Denver. It will take a village to deal with all of the issues that are, we're facing in 2024. So I just look forward to that partnership and thank you to my colleagues for supporting this this afternoon. Thank you, President Torres. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Um, Councilwoman, uh, oops, I'm sorry, Councilman Cashman, you're next in queue. Yeah, thank you, Madam President. And thanks to uh, Councilwoman Sandoval for bringing this forward. And my thanks to the Office of Children's Affairs and all their partners for the work that they are doing to take care of our young people and give them a more promising future. Um, I was a single parent as a young man at a time when after-school programs were minimal and childcare was minimal. And the, the riches that we're offering now to our kids are the best investment we can make in our future uh, of any kind. The other thing I wanted to just uh, uh, keep on the front burner is it's my belief that while they do spectacular work, our Office of Children's Affairs is understaffed and could do so much more with a few extra bodies to help them get their work done and to, to expand their outreach. So as we uh, uh, begin to look forward to our 2025 uh, budget discussions, I hope my colleagues will, will join me in pushing in that direction. Thank you, uh, Madam President. Thank you. Councilwoman Romero Campbell. Uh, thank you, Council President Torres, and thank you, um, Council Member Sandoval, for bringing this forward. I think you very, and Councilman Cashman um, for speaking, I think very eloquently, you put into words um, the tremendous work that the Office of Children's Affairs does and how critically important it is um, 
And I love the title that it takes a village because it does take a village. Um, and it's not just for our children. It's for all of our community members. Uh, I um, have talked about how near and dear this is to my heart, having spent my career doing advocacy and working with the Office of Children's Affairs and so many of the partners and having run one of the organizations um, that does out-of-school time programs for kids in our community. Um, it's hard work and it is so incredibly meaningful. Um, we know that young children are sponges and so incredibly resilient, but need that support from birth all the way um, until they, we, well, we need support all through our lives, but from birth all the way through um, the time that they, you know, finish high school and, and go on to, you know, a post-secondary um, career, whether it be a career or to college. And so making sure that we not only support our young people, but the families that, um, that they live in, because they don't live alone, they live in families. And those are um, really critical years and time that we have to be able to um, invest in um, this work. It was mentioned in this proclamation for fam family, friend, and neighbor um, care. That is often how many of our children are cared for today. Um, in informal care settings and being able to share that information and and the the skills and the resources to ensure that children are successful from every point um, in our community is is um, is amazing. So thank you so much, um, Councilwoman Sandoval, for bringing this forward. And I just appreciate um, all the work that everyone on council is doing for children. Thank you very much. Um, my mom was a single mom raising two girls here in Denver, and that village for us was other single parents, grandparents, our neighbors, uh, our teachers, um, libraries to a big degree, and nonprofits. So um, I was invested in, and every kid in Denver deserves that same level of investment. Um, thank you so much to the OCA team. Um, Madam Secretary, roll call, please. Alvitres? Aye. Hines? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes. Proclamation 1910 has been adopted. Thank you very much. Um, Councilwoman Sandoval, we have some time for proclamation acceptance. Uh, please call up uh, the accepting party. Thank you. I would like to call up the um, people representing the Office of Children's Affairs. I see four of them. And if you all four would like to say something, I think that that would be appropriate because I think all four of you are pillars of the organization. Um, and don't be shy. I'm going to call you out. <laughs> um, but I'd like to start with Melissa Janowski. I think I pronounced your last name correctly. Okay. Um, thank you. Thank you, Madam President. Uh, thank you, Melissa Yanishevsky with the Office of Children's Affairs. Uh, thank you, Councilperson Sandoval, for supporting this proclamation and for Council's approval. We so rarely get to 
acknowledge um, our appreciation for all the incredible leaders in community. OCA has really grown a lot over the last three years. We have a total budget of $74 million where 95% of those funds go back out to support community in the form of grants. We work with over 150 community partners across the city and county of Denver who have dedicated their career and their life to improving outcomes for children and youth. <clears throat> These organizations have created child-friendly ecosystems within their own neighborhoods in which they promote positive youth engagement, healthy and supportive development, and providing opportunities for youth to thrive now and into the future. It's incumbent on us as city leaders to continue to invest in these ecosystems so that Denver can become a certified child-friendly city. We especially want to recognize the contributions our internal city agencies make to ensure that children and youth are central in the decision-making process. <clears throat> our collaborative spaces like the Denver Children's Cabinet, the Youth Violence Prevention Action Table, and so many others show that the city recognizes that we all have a role to play in making Denver the best place to live, play, and raise a family. We're grateful to have so many allies, especially with all of you at City Council, who share our goals, who honor us as content, content experts, and who advocate on our behalf. As I step down from my role as Executive Director and happily pass the torch to Mr. Dwight Jones, I have no doubt that he's going to continue to honor and maintain these partnerships as it's such a critical component to our role as public servants. Thank you. Hi, Rick Gutierrez, Policy Director for OCA. Um, I want to echo everything that Melissa said. Um, I'm a former teacher, so I've seen firsthand the, the need and how urgent it is. And so we're really grateful for everyone who's working with us, um, not only to name that need, but also working with us to turn that uh, turn the work into reality. And um, so we just are really grateful. I'm really fortunate that I get to facilitate the uh, community collaborative meetings, um, especially the one at Outsland that's been going on for a little over a year. And that group really came out, out of a kind of crisis and, and a bit of uh, high urgency. And I hope that as we continue to grow some of the, the momentum from that group, we can do it more proactively and start building those pro-social things that aren't reactive, but they're proactive and we're building positively rather than responding to negativity. So um, council, we're gonna be calling on you again all next year. We're looking forward to it, but thank you all so much for your partnership. everyone, Andrea garcia Shosel, Health Initiatives Administrator for the Office of Children's Affairs. Thank you very much for the proclamation and for acknowledging um, all that OCA does. I have the privilege of directing Tasty Food, the free meal program for youth across the city. And we know that when youth have access to consistent, nutritious um, food, that they thrive in life not only academically and physically, but social and emotionally and, um, as well. And so we look forward to serving more meals and snacks that are not only nutritious and delicious, but culturally relevant. And we thank you for your partnership and investment in this work. And good afternoon, Council. Felicia Rodriguez, Youth Violence Prevention Program Manager with the Office of Children's Affairs. Councilman Sandoval, thanks again for sponsoring this proclamation. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, being a native to Denver and growing up in our city and having access to all of the great programs that our partners provide, specifically our internal partners like Parks and Rec and Library Services, um, it has a huge impact on young people. And also being a single mother, raising a daughter in this city, 
was not easy doing it by myself and it took a village to get her there. Um, I'm very proud to be a part of this team and very proud to be a part of this city. So thank you. Thank you, Felicia. Thank you to the whole team. All right, uh, Councilman Watson, will you please read our next proclamation, 23-1935? Uh, yes, Madam President. Uh, proclamation number 23-1935, welcoming the 118th National Western Stock Show, Rodeo and Horse Show to Denver. Whereas the 118th National Western Stock Show, Rodeo and Horse Show opens in Denver on January 6, 2024 and runs through January 21st, 2024. And whereas the National Western Stock Show celebrates the Western heritage of Denver and Colorado and showcases the diversity of the Western culture through the Mexican Rodeo Extravaganza and MLK Jr. African-American Heritage Rodeo. And whereas the campus will be an international center of excellence in agricultural innovation, education, research and technology and entertainment serving the needs of urban and rural Colorado. And whereas the National Western Stock Show, known as the Super Bowl of Livestock Shows, attracts more than 700,000 visitors from all 50 states and 30 countries and contributes 170 million to Colorado's economy. And whereas the National Western Stock Show has established a scholarship program for Denver students to educate the next generation of leaders in traditional and emerging fields in agriculture to address local and global issues. And whereas the National Western Stock Show scholarship is deeply rooted in the organization's core mission and 22 scholarships are provided annually to Denver Public School students and over 120 scholarships to students in Colorado. And whereas the 2024 uh, will feature over 100 events over the 16 day run, including rodeos, folklore dancers, animal exhibitions, and judging, horse shows, children's farmyard, and much more. Now therefore be it proclaimed by the city and county of Denver or by the council of the city and county of Denver, section one, that the council of the city and county of Denver welcomes the 118th National Western Stock Show, rodeo and horse show, and residents are encouraged to saddle up and enjoy the entertaining and educational events at the show. And section two, that the clerk of the city and county of Denver shall affix the seal of the city and county of Denver to this proclamation and that a copy be transmitted to the Western Stock Show Association. Thank you very much. Uh, Councilman Watson, your motion to adopt. I move that proclamation number 23-1935 be adopted. Thank you. And that's been moved and seconded. Comments by members of council. We'll start with Councilman Watson. Thank you, Madam President. I, I have to say, I'm, I'm not a native of, of Colorado, but one of the first things, the first year I moved here in 1987 to attend the University of Colorado um, that I did was to attend the National Western Stock Show. I thought it was important to be a part of what this, uh, this celebration within our state. Um, each year, my family and I visit the MLK Rodeo during uh, MLK Week, the Bill Pickett International or Invitational Rodeo. It is an amazing event um, with family and friends from across the city and across the state. Uh, I want to thank all of the partners within the National Western Association and the National Western Center for kicking us off and look forward to welcoming you all to the Fine District 9. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you. 
Madam Secretary, roll call, please. Alvitras. Aye. Hines. Aye. Romero Campbell. Aye. Sawyer. Aye. Flynn. Aye. Gilmore. Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Cashman. Aye. Lewis. Aye. Sandoval. Aye. Watson. Aye. Madam President. Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes. Proclamation 1935 has been adopted and we have time for proclamation acceptance. Councilman Watson, if you would like to invite them up. Thank you, Madam President. I'd like to ask uh, Mr. Paul Andrews. Uh, he's the president and CEO of the National Western Association, sir. Do you mind introducing yourself and sharing a few words? Yes, uh, thank you, first of all, Madam President. Thank you, uh, Councilman Watson. I'm Paul Andrews, President and CEO of the National Western Stock Show. Before I accept this proclamation, I want to thank each and every one of you for the job that you do every day on City Council. I can tell you there's likely no harder job than the job each one of you have every day working for this city. And business leaders like me, we appreciate you. And I want you to know we understand how difficult it is to try to please everyone. It just can't be done. So thank you all for the jobs that you do. As was mentioned, Stock Show 118th version is coming into town January 4th. <clears throat> the annual parade will get kicked off right on 17th Street. Our Grand Marshal this year is Randy Gratishar, Bronco legend, and uh, just all around great person. Since the pandemic, some of you may or may not be aware, we have competition. We have a rival show that started in another state, but with the great investment from the citizens of Denver and the creation of the new stockyards, for the first time since the pandemic, the stockyards are completely sold out. Wow. We are at capacity. There are more than 50, there is actually 50, states that will be attending the National Western Stock Show. All 50 states will be here for the first time in a long, long time. We also have 35 countries, 35 countries have checked in for the National Western Stock Show. That is unbelievable. Earlier today, I sent you the economic impact study. Uh, so hopefully you've had some time to read it, but likely not with your, with your challenging schedules. $171 million economic impact for the 16 days of the National Western Stock Show for the state of Colorado. That will be announced tomorrow morning in a press release. We wanted to make sure all of you had it before that time. The 6th through the 21st, we have the largest trade show in Colorado. 800 trade show booth spaces for shopping galore, horse shows, rodeos, and as you know, the most prestigious livestock show in the world today. Back in 1906, city council, and the mayor were side by side with the National Western Stock Show when we launched. There were only 351 cattle shown at that show. This year, we're gonna have 15,000 head of livestock shown. And side by side is how we will go with city council moving forward, just like we started in 1906 with you all and the great mayor of Denver. So thank you for continuing your support of the National Western Stock Show. I look forward to hosting all of you at the show this January 6th. 
Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Yeehaw. <laughs> shocking, shocking. Um, thank you all. Uh, Madam Secretary, please read the bills for introduction. From the Business, Arts, Workforce, and Aviation Services Committee, 23-1886, a bill for an ordinance approving a proposed agreement between the City and County of Denver and University of Colorado Denver to provide seminars that lead to earned certificates in specific tech-related fields and creative entrepreneurship programming for the Tech Up program citywide. From the Finance and Governance Committee, 23-1741, a bill for an ordinance approving a proposed land exchange agreement between the City and County of Denver and Colorado Department of Transportation for parcel located at 2300 West 11th Avenue, Denver, Colorado, and the CDOT-owned parcels located at 620 West Wesley Avenue, 621 West Wesley Avenue, and 2260 South Fox Street, Denver, Colorado, and Council Districts 3 and 7. From the Land Use, Transportation, and Infrastructure Committee 23-1716, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for 4001 and 4021 North Fillmore Street in Elyria, Swansea. 23-1837, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for 1034 South University Boulevard in Belcaro. 23-1889, a bill for an ordinance relinquishing a portion of the easements reserved in ordinance number 793, series of 2002, recorded with a Denver clerk and recorder at reception number 2002-180-543, and in ordinance number 20200309, series of 2020, recorded with a Denver clerk and recorder at reception number 20200056724, located at 2565 East Alameda Circle. From the Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee 23-1851, a bill for an ordinance amending section 14-109 of the Denver Revised Municipal Code concerning the salary and benefits of county court magistrates. 23-1881, a bill for an ordinance approving a proposed second amendatory agreement between the city and county of Denver and regents of the University of Colorado to provide only non-residential treatment services through the Pier 1 program to individuals exiting the community correction system. Thank you very much. Council members, this is your last chance to call it an item. Councilwoman Gonzalez-Gutierrez, will you make the motions today? Yes, Council President. Thanks. I'll do a recap. Under resolutions, Councilwoman Sandoval's called out 1969 for questions and comments. Under, uh, and Councilwoman Lewis has called out uh, 1887 for postponement. Under bills for introduction, no items have been called out. Under bills for final consideration, Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez called out 1866 for questions or comment. Councilwoman Sandoval has called out 1569 to postpone and 1843 to amend. Under pending, no items have been called out. Uh, Madam Secretary, please put the first item on our screens. Councilwoman Sandoval, go ahead with your question and comment on resolution 1969. Thank you, Madam President. This is a lease between the Archdiocese of Denver and um, Denver, the uh, city and county of Denver to house migrants. Um, we have a huge encampment in Northwest Denver. And this is a um, community called Little Sisters of the Poor, which served low-income people for my entire life, generations. And 
when the little sisters of the poor moved out, it was on the um, deed that it would be reverted back to the archdiocese. I contacted Little Sisters of the Poor a year ago to start working on this and try to get this work to come to um, us. And it has taken a year to get this to us. This site, um, I don't know if any of you know it, it's on 29th and Lowell. It has beautiful, stunning views of downtown. It feels like a park. Um, during this past year when they've been searching what to do with this, we've gotten lots of suggestions from my community in Northwest Denver. One of them was to house migrants. The other is to continue serving people in need, an older generation. Um, and I just wanna say I'm deeply moved by my community and the work that so many are doing um, to support the newcomers who are coming into Denver. I just wanna make a call out to um, Lisa Lemley, thank you for your work on this. I, we couldn't have done this without you. You've been steadfast. And I appreciate even the light, late night phone calls. I appreciate the transparency so that we could work together to get this done. I'd like to thank Mayor Johnston and his team. I know that Mayor Johnston personally called the Archbishop and Archdiocese several times to get this done. I'd like to thank my colleagues for supporting me on this adventure as I brought this forward. I'd like to thank Tom Huey, who first contacted, I made contact about this site over a year ago in October of 2022. And I'd like to thank my staff, Gina Volpe. Gina, thank you for your steadfast work. Um, on behalf of District 1, I could not do any of this without you. And thank you for staying up late at night. And thank you for answering my phone calls. And thank you for helping me navigate this complex work that we do on behalf of Council District 1. So just want to, Gina has been steadfast supporter of all the work that we've done here. And I'd also like to thank the Archbishop and his team and all of the priests who voted on to get this to us today. I really believe that this Little Sisters of the Poor Campus will not only be welcoming, but it will be a safe place for these migrant and newcomers to live. And I please urge my colleagues to join me in supporting this this evening. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Madam President. I'm, I'm curious, uh, Lisa Lumley, do you mind coming forward? I have a quick question for you. Um, and thank you so much for your work. And I um, concur with uh, the Councilwoman Sandoval, Council President Pro Tem Sandoval, and a whole list of folks that were uh, participated in this process over the last year. So Lisa, do you mind introducing yourself? And I have just one question. Sure, Lisa Lumley, Director of Real Estate. Lisa, I'm curious on the protections for of residents or tenants for contracts that we approve. Um, the City and County of Denver has a non-discrimination clause. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit on what that non-discrimination clause covers? Um, who does it cover um, and how is that impacting? If you have one of your attorneys here, I'll, 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 maybe that would be helpful for one of the attorneys too. For that level of detail, I am gonna ask city attorneys to come up. And, and I may pull back the 15 underlying questions that I asked and I asked just one to make it clearer. Do you mind introducing yourself? Hello, can everyone hear me? Yeah. Last time I was up here, nobody could hear me. Okay, John Avardi, Assistant City Attorney uh, Senior. I'm just curious on the, on the protections for tenants, residents um, um, in any facility um, um, uh, leased owned by the City and County of Denver. Yeah, so the, a little bit of context to your question. 
This is a lease with the archdiocese. The archdiocese is the owner of the property. Um, the question you're asking relates specifically to the service agreement. Yes. That's where those protections will exist. Um, that has not been drafted yet. I believe I am not the attorney drafting that, but every service agreement that we do for um, shelter services like this include non-discrimination language, uh, I believe two different non-discrimination clauses and a faith-based services clause. Thank you so much. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Seeing no one else in queue, we'll move on to our next item. Uh, Councilwoman Lewis, um, or Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screen. I see it there. Councilwoman Lewis, what would you like for us to do with resolution 1887? Um, I'd like to, <clears throat> I'd like for us to postpone it into January 1. Thank you very much. Two. January 2. Whatever two. Than mm -hmm. Monday is, sorry. Oh. <laughs> January 2nd. Very good. So pursuant to rule 3.7, yes, you want to postpone it? Okay. Yes, correct. No motion is required for that. Um, Council resolution 1887 has been postponed to the next regularly scheduled meeting, which is Tuesday, January 2nd. Thank you. Thank you very much. Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens. And Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez, go ahead with your comments, please, on Council Bill 1866. Thank you, um, Council President Torres. Um, I want to start off by thanking a couple of folks that helped with this bill. Um, I want to thank the Office of Municipal Public Defenders. I think she might have just stepped out. Um, the Office of Municipal Public Defenders, the city attorneys, the courts, Denver Public Safety Youth Programs, juvenile justice advocates, and of course, my co-sponsor sitting here, Councilman Cashman, uh, in making this policy become a reality providing children and youth, and yes, I'm saying children and youth because kids as young as age 10 can be charged and can be prosecuted. Um, providing children and youth the option to be represented by a public defender in municipal court, something that surprisingly has not been provided before. And, uh, and this is in our municipal court where kids receive municipal citations. And this is oftentimes the entryway where, uh, for young people into that juvenile justice system. And so I'm really um, thankful that we're able to do some work upstream here at that very first stages in which a kid is maybe getting uh, you know, a ticket for um, disturbing the public or um, you know, they had an incident at school or something to that effect that may, there may be other reasons behind that particular issue. And this just gives them an opportunity to have representation, something that I think they probably should have had um, for, since they created this court. Um, I do wanna just say one other thing because we heard loud and clear from our colleagues when we presented this bill in front of safety committee uh, that you know they wish that they, this can get going sooner and, and with the implementation date. What I will say is that I know that Councilman Cashman and I have said, you know, if uh, the departments, if the city attorney, if the public defender, if the courts, whenever they're ready, when they're ready to go, um, I, I don't, I can't imagine that our colleagues would be willing to um, support us in, in moving up that timeline. But for that, I, I appreciate everyone's support and I'm um, really excited to see this go through. 
Thank, thank you, you so Council President. Thank you. Councilman Cashman. Yeah, thank you, uh, Madam President, and thanks to Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez for her work on this. And I, I just never seen a, a, a better example of collaboration of city agencies. You know, uh, when, when I first heard that kids as young as 10 years old would face a, a judge with no representation, if their family didn't have the money to hire a private attorney, young kids uh, were left on their own and, uh, you know, very often thought that the deal the prosecutor was presenting to them uh, was in their best interest. And uh, very often that's simply not the case. So we did, we had the Office of Municipal Public Defender. We had the city's attorney's office, the probation department, uh, uh, Magistrate Thompson, Chief Justice uh, Rodarte, all working out the, the details of uh, what was uh, not as simple uh, a topic as was first envisioned. Uh, you know, we, we certainly want the kids to get representation, but the main goal is we don't want the kids in the system at all. We want them in diversion programs wherever possible. Uh, we want them to have the clearest path to a good life that they can possibly get and to watch the, the prosecutors and the defense attorneys get together with the pro probation department, all with the same goal, to keep the kids out of the justice system uh, wherever possible. So um, I, I'm, I'm thrilled uh, to bring this forward. And if I don't mind, I'd like to ask our uh, uh, chief public defender, uh, uh, Colette Vet, if, if you could come up and answer a quick question, give you a chance to make any comments that, that you would like. Um, while, while you had stepped out, um, my colleague, Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez, uh, spoke about our, our effective date on this policy is in July. And that's to give uh, time to hire on the, the additional staff. I think it's estimated you'll pick up fifth, about 50 cases a month. And we've had, uh, I remember uh, Councilwoman uh, uh, Gilmar was the first to bring it up, like, boy, we wish we could start this tomorrow. And uh, what, what our feeling has been, the minute you folks tell us that you've got people on board and are ready to go, if we can beat that, July timeline, we can bring an amendment back to this body to, to move along as quickly as possible. Can you address that and any other comments you'd like to make about this uh, bill? No, thank you. Thank you, Madam Torres um, and Councilman uh, Cashman and Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez for supporting this bill. Um, and it is a really exciting time for us. We The July date was so that we could post the position. We're looking for a senior uh, attorney to take the over to run this um, because it's such a very different area of law than representing adults. We also wanted to do internal training of our lawyers so that we could have an additional lawyer aiding the senior attorney and the peer navigator. So we thought that that was a reasonable date, but um, if we could post the position at the beginning of the year and we can get someone with a lot of experience, I'm sure we could definitely um, try to bring that uh, timeline up. As, as you said so articulately, this is something that we should have been done yesterday, right? So this would, we'd like to start this process as soon as possible. We're me actually meeting with stakeholders. I'm meeting with someone tomorrow who's got tremendous experience in juvenile representation. So we're trying to get up to speed as well internally. Terrific, well, thank you very much. And again, thanks for your collaboration. Thank you so much, process. I appreciate it. Absolutely, thank you. And if anyone else has any other questions I, that I could answer. 
We're good, I think, on it. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I Thank you. And just my gratitude to our sponsors for working with the Municipal PD's office to get this across the line. Um, Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens. And Councilwoman Sandoval, will you put Council Bill 231569 on the floor to take out of order, please? Yes, sorry, I lost my place. Thank you, Council President. We need to take this item out of order so that we may postpone final consideration of this item. Oh, just give you a motion oh, first. Sorry, sorry. Okay. I move that Council <laughs> Bill 1569 be taken out of order and Perfect. my colleagues vote to take it out of order. Perfect, thank you. And that's been moved and seconded. Um, comments, Councilman Sandoval, why are we taking this out of order? <laughs> thank you, Council President. We need to take this out of, item out of order so that we may postpone to final consideration. And if you're wondering why we need to postpone that, we need to postpone to make sure that the noticing requirements be met. Thank you so much. And seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call on taking Council Bill 1569 out of order. Alvitras? Aye. Hines? Aye. Humero Campbell? Aye. Dan, uh, sorry, Sawyer? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President. Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes. Council Bill 1569 will be taken out of order. Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez, will you now put 1569 on the floor for final passage? Thank you, uh, Madam President. I move that Council Bill 23-1569 be placed upon final consideration and do pass. Thank you. And that's been moved and seconded. Councilwoman Sandoval, you have a motion to postpone. I move that final consideration of Council Bill 1569 be postponed to Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. Thank you. And that has been moved and seconded. Comments by members of council. We'll start with Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, Council President. I am asking to postpone this item to ensure that the proper noticing requirements be, meet, be met. Thank you very much. Madam Secretary, roll call please on the postponement of 1569. Alvitras? Aye. Hines? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. <clears throat> Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President. Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes. Bill 1569 has been postponed till Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. And uh, Councilman Gonzalez Gutierrez, will you please put Council Bill 1843 on the floor for final passage? Yes, Madam President. <clears throat> Excuse me. I move that Council Bill 23 1843 be placed upon final consideration and do pass. Thank you. And that's been moved and seconded. Uh, Councilwoman Sandoval, you have a motion to amend. I move that Council Bill 1843 be amended as follows. 
on page two in the table directly following line four in the line titled 010102012012 City Council District 1 City Council President 50 City Council President is that right? Zero. City Council President 50,000 50,000 strike 50,000 and replace with 65,000 on page two in the table directly following line 12 in the line titled 01010991300 transfer to the human service border crisis response SRF chief financial officer 330,000 strike 330,000 and replace with 345,000. Thank you very much. And that's been moved and seconded. Comments by members of council, Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, Council President Torres. Um, as my office manager, Gina and I were coming to year end, we found that we had more money in our office budget. And so I, instead of giving it back to the general fund, I wanted to provide 15 extra thousand dollars to the SRF for the migrant support that is happening and hopefully this can help with um, the, the lease that I made earlier, which the archdiocese to help get that um, new location set up. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you so much. Um, seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call please on, on amendment uh, to 1843. Alvitras. Aye. Hines. Aye. Romero Campbell. Aye. Sawyer. Aye. Flynn. Aye. Gilmore. Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Cashman. Aye. Lewis. Aye. Sandoval. Aye. Watson. Aye. Madam President. Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 eyes, Council Bill 1843 has been amended. Uh, comments by members of Council on Council Bill 1843 as amended. Seeing none, Madam Secretary, roll call please on the um, on the on Council Bill 1843 as amended. Alvitras? Aye. Hines? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes. Council Bill 1843 has passed as amended. And that concludes the items to be called out. All bills for introduction are ordered published. Council, mem council members, remember this is a consent or a block vote, and you'll need to vote aye. Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez, will you put the resolutions for adoption and the bills on final consideration for final passage on the floor? Thank you, Council President. I move that the re resolutions be adopted and bills on final consideration be placed upon final consideration and do pass in a block for the following items in series of 23 1969, 1970, 1971. 1885, 1888, 
The total rezoning area includes seven parcels that contain a variety of one to one and a half story structures containing residential and commercial, as well as one parcel that is a surface parking lot. Now that we understand the request, let's take a quick look at where the subject sites are located and let's understand the context. The subject properties are located in Council District 7 in the Platt Park neighborhood. This map shows the existing zoning in the area. You can see the subject properties outlined in red are zone UMS3 with both the U01 and the U02 overlay, which are the adult use overlay and the billboard overlay respectively. The property immediately to the south along Pearl Street and the properties across Pearl Street are also UMS5 to the north and to the, to the north of the site and south across Louisiana, Louisiana, you'll notice UMS3 zone districts. There are a range of residential districts in this area, including USUA1 immediately across the alley, which is a protected district. And also we have UTUC and URH2.5 districts in this area. Quickly here in this map, I wanted to show you that the properties are within the Washington Park View Plain, which restricts the property to a maximum height of around 75 feet. The property is also within 175 feet of a protected district, the USUA1 to the west. So the proposed zone district would only allow a maximum height of 75 feet anyway. Now in this slide, you can see the existing land use. There is a diversity of land uses along this block of South Pearl. And you can also see in this map, that the block directly west to the subject properties shows only residential uses. This slide shows the existing context, context with an aerial view of the properties and the surrounding area. You can see the higher intensity five-story zoning closer to I-25, which steps down towards the single unit residential a couple blocks away. Now looking at the process, um, in terms of the public process, property owners within 200 feet uh, were noticed and relevant RNOs and elected, property owners within 200 feet, relevant RNOs and elected officials were notified of this application on June 5th and, no, and in November 1st, planning board voted unanimously to recommend approval. Today, we have received one common letter from a group of residents on the 1200 block of Pennsylvania, one block west of the proposed rezoning. Those neighbors note, noted that Kentra's ongoing outreach and an executed good neighbor agreement as a rezoning for this support. Staff also received after the day of the submittal of the staff report, a letter of support from 3PA, the Platt Park People's Association Arena, based primarily on the successful good neighbor agreement negotiated between Kentros Group and the neighbors. At the planning board hearing, there were no public speakers and the board voted six to zero to recommend approval, noting that the plan guidance supported the height, specifically considering the protected district standards. Now let's take a look at our last section, the review criteria. The Denver zoning code has five review criteria that we are mandated to analyze to determine if a rezoning is appropriate. And I'll go through all five of these ones now. The first criterion is consistency with adopted plans. 
There are three plans applicable to this rezoning, including the two citywide plans and the Louisiana Pearl Station Area Plan, which was adopted in 2007. Starting with consistency with Comprehensive Plan 2040, the proposed rezoning meets multiple goals, including increasing the development of housing close to transit and creating a greater mix of housing options in every neighborhood, and fostering opportunities for communities by aligning housing to improve economic mobility. Concerning that final point, it should be noted that this location has good transit access to jobs downtown and along the I-25 corridor, as well as a good walkable access to parks, schools, and quality of life amenities. Now let's take a look at Blueprint Denver. Blueprint Denver identifies the future neighborhood context as urban, which is described as varying from multi-unit development to single-unit homes, but offering a mix of, how, of uses with good street activation and connectivity. The proposed home district aligns with this neighborhood context. Blueprint identifies this future place type as local center, which contains options for dining, entertainment, and shopping with active frontages and heights up to three stories. Pearl Street is a main street collector, which is defined by being a highly activated pedestrian corridor. The proposed main street district aligns with this characterization. Blueprint Denver also notes that when we have a small area plan, we should look for that, for that small area plan for more guidance. Blueprint's growth strategy for this area is all other areas of the city, where we expect to see 20% of new housing and 10% of new jobs by 2040. Moving now to the consistency with a small area plan, the Louisiana Pearl Station Area Plan differs in one important way from the other station area plans in that it generally focuses on an area of only a quarter mile from the station. It does this because this station is a walk-up station without a park and ride, which is unique to the RTD system. Within that radius, this property is identified as a reinvestment area, which is noted for having desirable character, but would benefit from increased density and reinvestment. Within the reinvestment areas, there are two sub-areas of land use concepts, the urban neighborhood station area and the urban neighborhood station transition. This block is noted as urban neighborhood station, which is defined as variable and dense with heights from one to five stories with the proper transitions to adjoining residential districts. I would like to quickly touch on the Denver zoning code standards for, for protected districts, since the station area plan calls for proper transition to adjoining residential districts. The USUA1 district immediately across the alley to the west is a protected district, which means that the appropriate ground level and upper story setbacks will be required of any development on the subject property. While this image is an example from the zoning code, not a rendering of the site, it does demonstrate how the protected district standards work with what we have deemed to be appropriate setbacks adjacent to low-scale residential districts. So while the station area plan guidance provides a broad recommendation of one to five stories. Staff believes that on balance, the proposed UMS-5 zone district meets the plan guidance to provide density within the sub area while assuring transition to lower scale residential areas. Staff also finds that the requested zoning meets the next two criteria. The rezoning will result in uniformity of district regulations and it will further the public health, safety and welfare by implementing plan guidance and creating a subtle increase in allowance allowed density near transit and amenities. 
staff finds there is a justifying circumstance for this map amendment with the implementation of adopted plans. There are also changing conditions in this area with new three and five story buildings near the site being constructed in recent years, as well as investments in the station upgrades. Lastly, the proposed zoning is consistent with the neighborhood context, Main Street districts and the UMS-5 zone district intended statement. Based on the review criteria, staff recommends the approval of this map amendment. Thank you, Fran. Um, that can, let's see, we have one individual signed up to speak this evening, and he's joining us on Zoom, Jesse Paris. Yes, good evening, members of council, those watching at home, um, those in the council chambers. My name is Jesse LaShawn Paris, and I represent the Black Star Action Movement for Self-Defense, Positive Action Commitment for Social Change, as well as the Unity Party of Colorado, the Northeast Resident on Revolutionary Agenda. And I reside in District 8, at the Roach, Bed Bug, and Mice Infested Fusion Studios in District of District 8. I'm on this last city council meeting of 2023. I would really love to see the city prioritize, you know, the citizens, the citizenry, you know, the people that made this city so great. But um, I have a few questions about this. Um, so is this gonna be strictly commercial? Is it gonna be mixed use? going to be residential and commercial. Is this located behind the 7-Eleven that is located on Pearl in Louisiana? Um, it is going to be residential. It's going to be AM. Sure. And if it's going to be commercial, what is what businesses are going to be here? Uh, if someone could please answer those questions, I would greatly appreciate it. I'm sure our constituents that are watching at home and the council chambers would too as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. That concludes our speakers. Are there questions from members of council on 1665? Uh, Councilman Flynn. Uh, thank you, Madam President. Uh, thank you for the presentation, Fran. Uh, it's odd not to see you here, but to talk to you up in the ether. Could you explain what are the setback requirements for this uh, five-story uh, zoning as it uh, on the west side as it uh, borders on the protected district? How does that look is it one story two story three stories up against protected district and then stair step back exactly how does that work you want me to share again uh my screen so uh you can see that yes right. please yes okay. thank you that'd be great can uh -huh. you see it there yeah yes so um here you can see this is like the graphic that we Again, it's not perfect. It's not perfectly to scale, but you can see um, that it is. So upper story setback above 27 feet. So adjacent to a protected district would be 20 feet if there is an alley and 25 feet if there is not an alley. So in the first one would be uh, 20 to 25. And then in the second one that it's above 51 feet, 
would be 35 feet if there is an alley, if 40 feet if there is no alley. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you. That, that's excellent. I really appreciate that. Very helpful. Thank you, Madam President. That's all I had. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, seeing no one else in queue, the public hearings closed. Uh, comments by members of council on 1665. Uh, we'll start with District 7's Councilwoman Alvides. Thank you, Council President. Um, and thank you, Fran, for this great presentation. Always so thorough, CPD. I think CPD really did a lot of great work on this one. I think the setbacks are exactly what the neighborhood wants. And I really feel that this is like the ideal type of rezoning where we have density and we have access to transit and we have a good neighbor agreement. So I strongly support this rezoning and I would encourage my uh, colleagues to do the same. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Seeing no one else in queue, uh, Madam Secretary, um, oops, excuse me, roll call please on 1665. Alvidras? Aye. Hines? Aye. Per um, Romero Campbell? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes. Uh, Council Bill 1665 has passed. Thank you, Fran. Uh, thanks to the applicant. Um, Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez, will you please put Council Bill 1359 on the floor for final passage? Thanks, uh, Madam President. I move that Council Bill 23-1359 be placed upon final consideration and do pass. Thank you very much. And that's been moved and seconded. The required public hearing for Council Bill 1359 is open. Uh, may we have the staff report? And I think we have Fran again. Yes, let me share my screen. There we go. Can you see that? Yes, perfect. Perfect. Good evening, members of City Council. My name is Fran Peñafiel with Community Planning and Development. And tonight we'll be presenting an overview of the rezoning request for 1021 South Hooker Street. Let's start with the request. The applicant is requesting a change to a zoning classification from suburban single unit D to urban edge two unit C. The property is about 9,000 square feet and it's currently vacant. The requested change would allow for a subtle increase in this density as it would allow for either a duplex or a tandem house to potentially be built in the lot. However, the maximum number of stories and building height would be the same as it is allowed in the existing zone. Let's take a quick look at the location and context. The subject site is in uh, Council District 3 in the southeast corner of uh, Westwood neighborhood. And the map here shows the existing zoning in the area. You can see the subject property outlined in red is zoned SSUD, as we, uh, as are the surrounding properties. You can see a rise in zoning intensity to the east with row house zoning and then mixed use zoning along Federal Boulevard. This map shows that the property is also within a view plane, in this case, the Ruby Hill Park view plane, but the requested two unit zoning maximum height is 30 feet and it's well below the maximum height allowed for this zone that it's 117 feet under the view plane. 
This slide shows the existing land use. The property is currently vacant and there are single unit residential properties to the south and west, to the north and east are school and their associated amenities. This slide uh, shows the existing context with an aerial view of the property and the surrounding area. You can see the low scale nature of the residential community. You can also see the schools, playgrounds, sports fields, and immediately adjacent to the site, a garden that is run by the school. Now let's look at the process. Um, property owners within 200 feet, relevant RNOs and elected officials were notified of this application on July 21st. And on September 20, 20th, planning board voted unanimously to recommend approval. To date, we have received no RNO comments, but following the planning board meeting, we received three letters of opposition, which noted the negative effects of out of scale development and traffic. The planning board voted unanimously nine to zero by means of consent agenda to recommend approval. Okay, now let's take a look at the review criteria. The Denver zoning code has five review criteria that were mandated to analyze to determine if a rezoning is appropriate. And we will go through all five of those. The first criterion is consistency with adopted plans. There are three plans applicable to this rezoning, including the two citywide plans and the Westwood neighborhood plan, which was adopted in 2014. Starting with consistency with comprehensive plan 2040, the proposed rezoning meets multiple goals, including increasing the development of housing close to transit and creating a greater mix of housing options in every neighborhood. West Mississippi and Federal Boulevard have numerous bus, bus routes, including a limited stop bus along Federal. Federal Boulevard is also a transit priority corridor with planned roadway and signal improvements in the short term and full bus rapid transit in the future. Now let's look at Blueprint Denver. Blueprint Denver identifies the future neighborhood context as urban edge, which is described as having low scale single and two unit residential that promotes and protects residential neighborhoods. The proposal district aligns with the neighborhood context. Blueprint also identifies this future place type as low residential, which is predominantly single and two unit on medium and small lots with duplex thoughtfully integrated. Hooker Street is a local street, which is predominantly defined by residential uses. The proposed two unit zone district aligns with those characteristics. Blueprint also asks us to look at small area plan when, a setting, when setting a new precedent for a transition from single unit to two unit uses, and we will go through uh, that small area plan in a second. But first, let's look at the growth strategy. Uh, in this area, it is called all other areas of the city, where we expect to see 20% of new housing and 10% of new jobs by 2040. A subtle increase in potential density on this lot aligns with the bump of housing growth. Now looking at the small area plan, the Westwood neighborhood plan identifies this property as single family duplex, which is described as moderately dense with a mixture of housing types. Please note that this is different from those areas identified as single family ADU in the section of implementing the land use concept of the plan. It states that ETUC implements the vision for single family duplex areas and the single unit zoning does not implement that vision. So this plan specifically states these areas should be ETUC and not single unit districts. The Westwood neighborhood plan includes a recommendation 
includes a recommended maximum height map. The subject property is shown as having a recommended maximum height of two and a half stories, which aligns with the requested zone district. Staff also finds that the requested zoning meets the next two criteria. The rezoning will, re will result in uniformity of district regulations, and it will further the public health, safety, and welfare by implementing pl plan guidance by creating a subtle increase in density near transit and amenities. Staff finds there is a justified circumstance for this map amendment with the implementation of adopted plans and ongoing city investments to improve federal as a transit corridor. Lastly, the proposed map amendment is consistent with the neighborhood context, two-unit district, and the ETUC zone district intent statement. Based on the review criteria, staff recommends approval of this map amendment. Thank you, Fran. Uh, we have two folks signed up to speak this evening. Uh, we will go first to Jesse Paris on Zoom. Yes, good evening, members of the council, those watching at home, those in the council chambers. My name is Jesse with Sean Paris, and I'm representing for Black Star Action Movement for Self-Defense, Positive Action Commitment for Social Change, as well as the Unity Party of Colorado, the East Denver Residence Council, Frontline Black News, Chewbacca's Black Experience Enhanced, the Revolutionary Agenda. And I reside at the Roach Bedbug and Mites Infested Fusion Studios in Chantel Lewis's district of District 8. Um, like the previous rezoning, I would really like somebody to answer my questions. It's very disrespectful when you blow us off and don't answer our questions. You have these public hearings and then you don't want to listen to nothing that the people, uh, the public have to say. My question in regards to this rezoning is, first of all, this is right behind a school, um, Kepner, I believe. Um, second thing is, are these going to be for rent, for sale, homes uh, for these duplex, for this duplex? What is the AMI level going to be for the for sale or for rent um, duplex homes? And was there a good uh, neighborhood agreement signed by the community and the RNOs in the area? If you could please answer those questions, I and I'm sure the public would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is Justin Cannon. Is Justin on Zoom? No. That concludes our speakers. Are there any questions from members of council on Bill 1359? Okay, public hearing is closed. Comments by members of council on Bill uh, 1359. Um, this is in council district three, so I will just chime in quickly. Um, I think the uh, criteria is pretty clear and uh, a vacant lot, this whole street, this entire side of the street is actually um, doesn't have any homes. Um, uh, SU and TU are allowed and uh, look forward to seeing um, some additional housing on this location. Um, I will be voting in support and um, encourage my colleagues to support as well. Madam Secretary, roll call please on uh, 1359. Alvitras. Aye. Hines. Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? 
Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes. Council Bill 1359 has passed. Thank you, Fran, for being with us. Councilwoman Gonzalez-Gutierrez, will you please put Council Resolution 1968 on the floor for adoption? Yes, Madam President, I move that Council Re Resolution 23-1968 be adopted. Thank you very much. And that's been moved and seconded. Uh, we have a 30-minute courtesy public hearing for Resolution 1968, and that hearing is open. Uh, may we have a staff report? I think we're joined by our Department of Finance. Lisa, are you doing a staff report? I think so, yeah. I just need to see. Sure, no problem. Is there a slide deck? Okay, we'll get that loaded up. Apologies. No problem. Right up here, Tim. Yeah, there's a CPU there. Thank you, Tim. Good evening, Lisa Lumley, Director of Real Estate. I'm here regarding the acquisition of the Embassy Suites Hotel at 7525 East Hamden Avenue. So this is a map just to reflect in the various locations that we are spreading across the city, uh, both with the hotels and the micro communities to show that we are trying to meet the mayor's objective so that it is not concentrated in just one area. The action requested tonight approves an assignment and amendment to the purchase and sale agreement. I apologize, Madam President. I think Lisa's voice, for some reason, I, I can barely hear. I'm not sure. Can we sure get a, um, a increase on volume there? Or increase, Lisa, we might need you to project a little more. No problem. It didn't sound like, is yeah. it better? Okay. Thank I, you, Councilman Watson. Councilman, do you need me to start back or you want me to start here? I, I was seeing folks leaning forward, so if you don't mind starting from the top, I apologize, Madam President. It is, it's not my meeting. So. Totally fine. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so, Lisa. Just again, I'm here regarding the acquisition of the Embassy Suites Hotel at 7525 East Hampton Avenue. This map reflects across the city, the House 1000 sites. The importance of this is to show that we are meeting the mayor's goal of not trying to concentrate um, sheltering in just one location. The action requested tonight approves an assignment and amendment to the purchase and sale agreement between East Hampton Hotel Fee LLC and Hampton, excuse me, Hampton Heart LLC and the city for a property located at 7525 East Hampton Avenue. So just for background, um, in August, a developer partner proposed to the city the idea of purchasing the Embassy Suites Hotel and doing a short-term lease with the city, approximately two years, so that it could be used as a family shelter while they prepared for an affordable housing redevelopment project. In October, the developer was able to move forward to 
towards closing and they assigned the purchase and sale agreement to Urban Land Conservancy. Um, Urban Land Conservancy then intended to partner with Archway's communities with ULC owning the land and Archway owning the <coughs> building and then leasing the building to the city. Original rental term was to be two years with the city paying facility rent as well as costs of ongoing maintenance with some capital repairs. The goal was to occupy, occupy the hotel before the end of December so families could settle and register for school during Christmas break. So the approach to this, the reason we have shifted is simply because while our partners tried incredibly hard with their lenders to make this work, it was something that at the end of the day was not financially viable for the city. It was a much longer term with a much greater financial commitment. So instead the discussion with ULC and Archway was that the city would buy directly. So the approach then is that the city, the city will step into the purchase and sale agreement we will lease the property from now until the sale. So this is similar to Doubletree. The city will operate it as a family shelter for approximately two years. The city concurrently then can go ahead and continue to advance the strategy for transitioning this long-term use for affordable housing. We would look to a partner. Um, we would then look at to do a sale, recoup our initial investment of dollars, less our operating management and related services. The purchase and sale agreement terms, it still is an acquisition for $21 million. The city plans to issue a certificate of participation to finance the purchase in early 2024. City council then, this would come before city council for approval for, of the COP issuance consistent with typical city financing process. The expectation is it will be here, I believe it's the second week of February. The lease side of this then is the city will lease the facility until the purchase is completed. Um, lease occupancy agreement, that is the actual document you will see. The lease is funded for up to one year at a rate of $825,000 a month for a total of almost $10 million. And I'm gonna stop there for a minute because I know that there have been a lot of questions about this. So the while the maximum contract amount is 30, more than almost $31 million, the intent is really that we know that we want to lease for three months. So we went ahead and we structured it such that it's up to a year. And that would only be um, if the city during due diligence decided for whatever reason that we did not want to acquire it, we would still need some time to transition those families to another location. So that is why we built in a little more room in there. Um, but the actual plan is to go ahead and we lease through March assuming council has approved everything, we close at the end of March. That means we pay 21 million for the acquisition and I'm going from memory, but I believe it's 2.475 million for the rent for three months. And that would be it in totality. Um, the current owner will continue to provide the operational support at the facility. So they will still have staff there to help us through this transition. And with that, any questions? Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have, uh, I believe, 49 individuals signed up to speak this evening. We will not get to everyone. Um, this is a 30-minute courtesy hearing. It's not a required hearing. So um, we will try to get through as many we can in a 30-minute period of time, alternating between those who have signed up in chambers and those who have signed up virtually. Um, in advance, I have 49 total, 33 support, 16 against. Um, we will start on Zoom with Jesse Paris. Oh, thank you for making me priority tonight. Um, yes, my name is Jessica Sean Paris, and I'm representing 
Black Star Action Movement for Self-Defense, Positive Action Commitment for Social Change, as well as the Unity Party of Colorado, the East Denver Residence Council or Northeast Residence Council, Frontline Black News, Shabaka's Black Experience Enhanced, the Revolutionary Agenda, and I reside at the Roach, Bear Bug, and Mice Infested, CCH-owned Fusion Studios in Chantel Lewis's district of District 8. Um, so I'm, I'm in support of this because as we've had a crisis before COVID, we had a crisis before the migrants arrived, and we still have a crisis now. We have a housing crisis. We've had it for over a decade, and it has not been prioritized at all. So any opportunity the city uh, takes to try to alleviate that, I'm in support of. My question is, I just don't want it to turn into another Fusion Studio or another uh, Best West or any of these other hotels and motels the city has acquired over the years. Um, the upkeep is horrible. Um, the management is horrible. Keep seeing that happen with this property here. Now, we keep getting all this nimbyism not in my backyard. I don't want to see it in my backyard. Well, what do you want? People to just die? That's what it apparently appears to be because we still have this urban camping ban still in effect. Nobody on this council, this new council, has proposed anything to repeal that or get rid of that by any stretch of the imagination. So as my uh, elder and my um, my revolutionary father always says, the faces change, but the game remains the same. So this is big business, keeping people, you know, unhoused in a state of hopelessness, but you prioritize the migrants over our actual citizenry. So I have a few questions about this property in particular. Um, so you said you're still looking for somebody to publicly finance this. Um, uh, so are you going to like reach out to a community land trust? Are you going to reach out to a service provider like CCH or Salvation Army or GSA, Meriden House, the Catholic Charities? Have any of those uh, entities been looked at since you keep giving them millions of dollars every year? For what, I don't know, because we never see it, the people that are uh, clients of these services. So if you could please answer questions, I would greatly appreciate it. I'm sure the people at home would appreciate it. Thank you, and have a good night, and I'll see y'all next year. Thank you. We will transition to Chambers for Paula Rhodes. Good evening. Thank you. I will never stop thanking the city of Denver for financing and helping to make a reality valor on the facts, which is a national first for permanent supportive housing under the partnership of the Brain Injury Alliance of Colorado and Brothers Redevelopment. Um, I'm wholly in support of that and I'm wholly in support of you buying up these hotels. They are not an equal comparison to that, but they're about half price what we got with new construction. And I've asked the governor for 200 million more and he hasn't said yes yet, but um, I think that the, the voters gave the mayor a mandate and um, I think the people really want to see people inside and rehabilitated. 
In the brain injury community, we believe that more than half of the homeless are brain injured. We are the gorilla in the room. And if you talk about prison, we're the second gorilla in the room. And um, I gave you a two-page letter today that has an attachment from the DSM-4 because it has several underlying criteria about brain injury, separating it from personality disorder. The one I really want to point out is corrected treatment brings about recovery. I want you to change your ideas about brain injury because these people can be rehabilitated. The homeless ones are probably mild categories, and if they were screened and given a triple Tesla MRI like I got, the advances in brain injury are incredible. Uh, the triple Tesla MRI sees everything, and if a person's on Medicaid, they can get a free one through the Brain Injury Alliance of Colorado. 303-355-9969, I've referred at least 10 people. And I have seen some people make jaw-dropping recoveries. And I really wish you'd listen to me because it's true. These people can have tremendous recoveries and then they can go back to work and live with their families. I have seen it with my own eyes. I could introduce you to these people. I really want you to believe. It's the Christmas season, it's time to believe. And I want to tell the people who are stuck in the rut of saying the things they do say. I mean, brain injury brings about major lifetime depression. And if you're homeless, you will seek self-medication wherever you can get it. That's why they're drunk and doing drugs. This can be fixed. I'm telling you the truth. So I hope you look at my letter. Um, I really wanna thank the city and Mayor Hancock. And um, we need a few more permanent supportive housing and I'm saying get that hotel every neighborhood needs to participate we need more thank you very much thank you our next speaker signed up is Daniel Lampert we do not have him on zoom is he in chambers okay our next speaker is uh, Claudia Lifton Claudia in chambers on zoom okay our next speaker is Alejandra Castaneda on zoom Good evening, buenas tardes. My name is Alejandra Castaneda and I live in District 1 with my daughter Violeta, who's right here. Violeta's grandma lives in District 4, about a mile away from the embassy suites where our city hopes to provide housing for families. In other words, families will have a safe and warm space to live for now, thanks to this resolution. I can't imagine a better use of our public dollars than providing housing for families. During the community meeting at Hamilton Middle School this past weekend, Mayor Johnston said, according to Denverite, that about 120 families were already signed up for the waiting list to enter this uh, site. About 90 of the residents will be children under the age of five. If council approves this resolution tonight, families could begin moving in by December 28th, giving them time to register their kids for school before uh, the holiday break ends. Ne nearby neighbor concerns include safety and why background checks aren't done. These concerns are based on tired assumptions and stigma about people, families who are currently unhoused. When new neighbors move into an area, whether they're buying a home or renting it, we don't require them to go through background checks. So we shouldn't do that with these new residents. 
Tomorrow we're volunteering as a family to help with the House 1000 initiative. We also stand ready to support our city council representative in identifying and opening a site or more in District 1, where our home is, and encourage city council to urgently implement policy solutions that address the root causes of homelessness. I would like to end this evening with a quote from the American writer and civil rights activist, James Baldwin. The children are always ours, every single one of them, all over the globe. And I am beginning to suspect that whoever is incapable of recognizing this may be incapable of morality. That was Jim Baldwin. Thank you, Council, for supporting this resolution. Thank you very much. Our next speaker signed up on Zoom, Brandy Majors. Okay, she's not there. She's not in chambers. Um, Michael Lobsher. Michael on Zoom? No. Okay. Our next speaker, Rhonda Muldoon, is not on Zoom. Is she in chambers? Okay. Paulette Tate is not on Zoom. Is she in chambers? Okay. Jamie Sarche in chambers? Good evening. Thank you for having me today. I am Jamie Sarche. I have lived in District 4 for 23 years, and my children went to Southmore Elementary. They went to Hamilton Middle School. We spend a lot of time at Rosamond Park with our dog. Um, we're very active in our community and very grateful for the place that we live. And I am here in strong support of utilizing the Embassy Suites Hotel to house families. I am grateful to all of you for um, supporting families. And I want us all to just remember what we learned when we were in ninth grade psychology. Do you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? And we learned that in order to meet our potential, we have to have our most basic needs met. We have to have safety. We have to have security. We have to know where our next meal is coming from. We need a door that locks. We need to have a place that is our own, a room that we can feel comfortable and confident in. And every single human being deserves that and that is the only way that human beings can meet their potential so thank you so much for providing this for every human being and i hope that the embassy suites motel is just the beginning and that we start doing this in every house district in every neighborhood Everyone deserves a safe place to be, mm -hmm. and everyone is just as human as everyone else. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our next speaker joining us on Zoom is Ryan Oswald.
should be there. Nope. Okay. Uh, Sue Norman on Zoom. We have two. No. Okay. Um, hold on. Okay. Uh, Austin Kane. Good evening. My name is Austin Kane. I live at 3704 South Elm Street. I'm a resident of District Four. The complexity of homelessness, its causes, its effects present a problem that may at times seem to be intractable, but I'm here to state my support for the acquisition of the Embassy Suites Hotel on Hamden. I trust that Mayor Johnston and his team are doing their very best to solve this problem as effectively as possible. With that support in mind, I thought I'd share three things today. One, the shelter's chances of success might go up just a tiny bit if I'm willing to devote some of my time and resources to make this a place of positive transformation for the families who will go through this facility. I'm formally raising my hand to volunteer. Second, I'm committed to my neighbors and joining with them to demand accountability from the city to ensure that every safety measure possible is taken in the operation of the facility. The goal of this center is to provide residents with a new chance in life, but a priority has to be the safety of the residents who are welcoming this facility into their community. Third, I'd like to specifically state my support for Councilwoman Diana Romero Campbell. I've had a chance to speak with her about this project and she has worked earnestly and thoughtfully to try and make her city and her community a little bit better. I look forward to working with all of you on projects like this in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our next speaker on Zoom is Eva Hutt. Hi, my name is Eva Hutt. I live at 8th and Jasmine in Council District 5, um, and I'm here with Together Colorado's Housing Justice Committee. Together Colorado works to put human dignity at the center of public life, and we are pleased with the efforts of City Council so far this year, making a real commitment to um, housing everybody. We believe that housing is a human right. I'm here to speak in favor of the purchase, the idea that there are children spending nights in the cold is appalling to me as a citizen of this city. And it's high time that every city council district does its fair share uh, to help house people. Thank you for your attention. Have a good evening. Thank you very much. Our next speakers are not on Zoom. I will call their name in case they're in chambers. Marika Christopher, Robert Greer, Dean Christopher, Mayesi Melvin. Uh, okay, and our next speaker we do have on Zoom, Ty Ravens. 
Hi, can you all see and hear me okay? Yes, go ahead. Great, thank you to the Denver City Council for this opportunity to speak and to all others present for sharing their views on today's issues. Um, I just wanted to ask what you all picture in your mind when you think of a community member or a neighbor, um, what traits does that family possess? Um, my name is Ty Rabins. I'm the Rapid Rehousing Team Lead at Jewish Family Service of Colorado, and our team's job is to place families without homes into homes. We will be right down the street from the proposed Embassy Suites Family Hotel site, just off Hampton and Tamarack, and our team would very much like to assist with getting those families housed. Those families might be community members to you, they might be neighbors in need to you, there might be something different depending on your views coming into this day, but um, I would ask you to check your gut reactions on that. And um, yeah, listen to us as service providers. Um, we would like to serve people in our community. Um, we would like you to name exactly, if you're opposed to this, name exactly what you are opposed to and um, maybe who made you opposed to that. And um, yeah, we would like to serve this community here in the District 4. Thank you and happy holidays. Thank you very much. Our next speaker signed up in chambers, Sherry Huang. Hello, everyone. My name is Sherry Huang. I'm the small business owner of the Tamarack Shopping Center. I strongly oppose the homeless shelter being placed in this wonderful community. I believe the mayor and the city uh, sh shouldn't be rushing in this shelter proposal and study the long-term effects of this type of shelters in the community and get stronger input from the residency in the community. Many of the people I spoke in the area and against the shelter of Embassy Suite Hotel. Even though I collect the names and the signature from the merchants, small business owner, and the residents in the community, and there's a two pages, I give it them to the mayor and the city council women at the meeting on Saturday. They appear to ignore it. After the meeting, many people I spoke to felt the mayor and the city council women or have already made a decision and then let the homeless people move in soon. I believe this busy and uh, great location will be suffer if this shelter's proposal is allowed to go forward. The crime will increasing, drug use, property, damage, and theft. This will be hurt the business and residents in this community. The people will gonna be disappointed, graduated, and move out. And the merchant will be losing the business, the beauty, beautiful, busy community will be shut down and we cannot allow this to happen. It's hard to build up the business. It used to take about five to eight years, but destroyed it take about a week. It's the same to running an area. It takes about 20 to 30 years to build up a nice, busy community, but destroyed it one or two months. When you made the decision to move the homeless people, yeah, you can solve the problem right away, but how is it going to affect the whole area? After one year, two years, or more, how will the Southeast Denver area look like after people move out, small business close, 
and the community is no longer thriving. You need to look at the long-term implication of this proposal rather than push in through in hurry. So if the business people move out, close and the people move out, who, how does the benefit the city government? So the city government already have a $30.9 million budget, right? You have the time to find another location, which is not that busy, uh, to shelter down the homeless people. Please don't choose this busy spot. Don't choose this successful location. Don't destroy it. We cannot risk big things for the sake of small things, small ones. Before you vote, please take the time to really think about the long-time long effect on business owners and community. The people of Denver is very lived and uh, they're working so hard for our estate. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker uh, signed up on Zoom but has declined the promotion, Kate Megala. We will go, Carrie Nolan is not on Zoom. Is Carrie Nolan in chambers? Okay. Our next speaker is Marilyn Ackerman joining on Zoom. Good evening. Thank you, city council people. I'm, my name is Marilyn Ackerman and I live in Central Park in District 8, Councilwoman Lewis's district. And I'm also a member of Montview Boulevard Presbyterian Church and Together Colorado on the Transforming Justice team. I thank you so much for giving this time to speak. I believe we need to have people sheltered before we can offer them any other services. Like our former person before said about Maslow's hierarchy, shelter where we put our head every night on a pillow that a door is locked. We need to give human dignity to our unhoused siblings in Denver. And we need to share the wealth of that housing in our districts, not just in my district where we have five hotels. I think that we are waiting and excited about District 4 and um, Councilwoman Romero Campbell taking this challenge on. Um, Councilwoman Lewis could tell you all about that. And we, I don't believe my housing value is going to go down. I believe that we are good neighbors and that we should be stepping into this like my members of my church who are helping set up these hotels, helping volunteer, be a good neighbor, do that, help these families. This is a family with children moving into um, the Hampton um, area there. And I hope that your neighbors um, can, can learn and start to be compassionate in this area. Um, the mayor ran on a campaign, very transparent, that this is what he wanted to do, house a thousand people by the end of the year. And now suddenly we're all surprised. Well, where were we going to put all of these people? I'm excited to try this experiment in my district. I'm hoping that District 4 will get on board. And I thank you, Council, for taking this bold initiative. If you vote yes on this, please do. Um, policing will be less. The, the chief talked about that on Saturday. I work with the Denver Police Department. They are excited about getting these folks into hotels and less encampments. We don't need 911 calls to the encampments. We need people to have wraparound services and be loved by their neighbor. Please love your neighbor. The, the hotels at Quebec, we don't know what this experiment is gonna look like, but I'm proud to be in the district that's starting it. And I hope it spreads like wildfire across the city because we need to get people off the street, especially in the winter. God bless you all and have a wonderful holiday, no matter your faith. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, our next speaker is not on Zoom. Eileen Long, are you in chambers? Okay. 
Rosemary Othmer Pesco, are you in chambers? Okay. James Reyes, are you in chambers? Okay. Judith Padilla, are you in chambers? Nope. Uh, True Apodaca, is True on Zoom? I don't see him there. Okay. Um, Jill Osa is on Zoom. Good evening, council members. Thank you for having this courtesy public hearing tonight and hearing support and concerns for those living around the embassy suites. My views are my own and may or may not be representative of any organizations I'm part of. I'm here tonight to share my concerns, but also to voice my support if this is done in the right manner. I'm not against housing families, but I am against how this has been done. Tonight, I'm asking for transparency and accountability from the mayor's office, city council, and a phased approach to opening the Hampton shelter. On the mayor's campaign page, he states, as mayor, my office will be front and center of the fight against homelessness and transparent in its communications with Denver residents. Unfortunately, this has not been the case with the majority of the House 1000 initiative. This resolution has been pushed through city council with almost no information being shared with the public. We have tried to obtain information through core requests, but they are often denied or cost hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, making them inaccessible to the average citizen. These actions diminish trust and harm the possible community support and success of the family shelter. Transparency is the first step in building the trust and support of the public. Lisa, thank you for, I appreciate you for discussing the cost and clarifying more. I would have appreciated having this information more than a few minutes before this courtesy public hearing began. Throughout the entire House 1000 initiative, we have been told to negotiate a good neighbor agreement and there will be accountability on the site provider and that it's a legally binding agreement. I have previously pointed out in in town halls and to Councilwoman Romero Campbell that many of the surrounding neighborhoods do not have RNOs, leaving them unable to participate in a GNA. The same is true for this site with the exception of the Southmore neighborhood. Furthermore, the GNA process is flawed. It takes the liability off the city and places it on the site provider. The city also needs to take responsibility and liability for each site because they are selecting the sites and choosing who the site providers will be. They are also held liable for any damages that occur at each site. Recently, the 19 pages of 911 calls to the Comfort Inn Family Shelter since it started in February 2023 have come to light and may demonstrate that we are failing the very individuals we are to be serving. Are we putting people together in a manner that increases conflict? Is the way the Comfort Inn is being managed creating conflict? Are we warehousing people in hopes they take services or are we truly rising to the challenge to create a resolution to homelessness across the city? I encourage you to ask yourself these questions, and I ask that the city have a phased approach to the new family shelter, first having six, housing 60 families and growing from there three months after, and then again after six months. This will allow the growing pains to be worked out on a smaller scale rather than housing 200 families at one time. Our duty is to protect and serve each of these families, especially the children, and we need to do just that. Thank you for hearing that. Thank you for taking the time to hear my concerns. And if the city is willing to start being transparent and honest and take a phased approach, I am able to get on board and support. Let's work together to make this shelter successful. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker was not on Zoom. Rita Hood, are you in chambers? Okay. Uh, Rosemary Gilmet. Dear council members, as a longtime resident of Morningside condominiums, 
which houses 434 condos. I would like to express strong opposition of the proposed bill to convert the embassy suites. The proposed conversion raises many issues and concerns, including but not limited to increased danger for permanent residents, children and elderly, for nearby schools and foot traffic. It will create encampment overflow and will harm local parks that border our community. We, as the community, had no time to have a say in what happens. There is no coalition with the Denver police, no proposed security, no crisis intervention, and no transparency in how the residents feel on this in this community. The location is right beside a pot shop and a liquor store, which already experienced violence and drug abuse. I personally canvassed all the businesses in Tamarack and Tiffany. No one wants this. They are afraid of it. Diana Romero didn't contact any of these businesses that I did. She didn't contact any of the communities, the HOAs that were involved. We just found out November 11th, and you're literally going to vote on this. I am concerned about the previous offer for 21 million changed to 31 million overnight. Why is the council voting to spend more than was originally offered? I'm concerned about how this was handled. Urban Land Conservancy was uh, Mayor Johnson served as the CEO on that, the parent company. It has been confirmed that ULC was involved with the sale of the embassy suites purchased under a newly formed LLC, Hampton Heart LLC, which was formed on November 8th. It appears the city will be leasing the hotel from ULC, then purchasing the hotel in March for 31 million. I really feel like he has an ethic problem because he worked for this company. They currently own three Denver shelters. Are you, I would like, are you involved? Are you, this is my backyard. We literally look in the parking lot of the embassy suites. We border that. We have a park next to us. We're really afraid that we are going to turn into the Zuni uh, street complex with all the homeless encampments. How? I'm afraid in six months, we will be abandoned. You will pass this and- Thank you very much, that's Thank your time. You. Our next speaker on Zoom is Christopher Miller. Hi everyone, Christopher Miller. I live in District 4. I'm a homeowner about a mile east of the project in the Hampton Heights West neighborhood right by Hamilton Middle School. I'm a parent of a nine-year-old and a six-year-old that attends Denver Public Schools. We shop at the Tamarack um, shopping center with the Target and the other restaurants and other businesses there. We shop across the across the street on the other one in Hampton where the Whole Foods and the other businesses are. And I am a strong supporter of this project as many of the other speakers said. What a great, it's always a great time of year to get people inside and to give people a helping hand to get back on their feet. And what, especially in these winter months, these cold winter months, can't think of anything better than, than to house so many families in a building, a, a, a hotel that was built to serve so many people. 
uh, we're still going to shop at all those businesses. We're still going to go to all the parks, Hutchinson Park, right very close to the site. We'll still be taking our kids there. We'll still be taking our kids to Southmore Park. We'll be going to Bible Park, Rosamond Park. Just is a great, as many of the speakers said, it is a great district four, great place to raise a family and a great place to welcome so many families. We all need a helping hand at some point in our lives, whether that's from a doctor, whether that's from friends, families, and as a community, I, you know, the only change that this has for me as far as living in District 4 is to increase my sense of pride of living in such a great district that this would be in our district helping so many families get back on their feet and give them a, a nice, safe, warm place to live. So I just urge the council's support. Thank you so much uh, for this time uh, this evening, and I hope, uh, I hope it'll be a yes vote. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we've reached our 30-minute time, but we're going to go through the rest of the list. Uh, Kara Hammerski on uh, Zoom, I believe. Hi, everyone. My name is Kara. I am a mother of two little girls under the age of six, a Colorado native and a current resident in District 4, and I support housing for families and children, but I'm concerned about how you are rushing this process. Over the past few weeks, I've been closely following the developments regarding this administration's choice to place a low barrier shelter in my neighborhood. I witnessed a packed auditorium on Saturday where the topic of housing for families and children was discussed and watched my neighbors angrily demand answers from their elected re representatives. And then I watched my representatives fully dismiss their valid concerns. Why are these concerns being dismissed if this is about housing our families and children? That's not what this is, is it? Because if this truly was about just housing our families and children, then my representatives would be doing this right. The community would be asked for input. The community would be encouraged to help. If the focus truly was on these families with children, the representative re leadership would never overlook the concerns raised about the 911 calls to the Comfort Inn, a document indicating 33 redacted incidents from involving minors. If this really was about the children, then you wouldn't highlight the Salvation Army as an ideal partner without considering other options. You wouldn't mock and dismiss a community for asking these questions, and you would enforce wraparound services that are comprehensive and mandatory, not optional and limited. Your current approach falls short of truly addressing the needs of these families and these children, and you all know this. Have you spoken to the residents in the Comfort Inn? Have you heard their pleas for help? Why are you not fixing these major issues before spreading out more issues throughout your city? Your plan is lacking fundamental pieces to make this successful for everyone, especially for our children, and you all know this. One of the most important pieces you've skipped over is the benefit of including the community. By excluding the, the community members who are willing and able to contribute, your plan is missing out on valuable support. This administration seems to be more concerned with skipping steps and expediting this process to sneak this in under emergency order. My ask is this, slow down this rush process. Stop lying. Stop spinning. Listen to us and slow down. Demand more from your service providers. Be open with your constituents. Be thoughtful in your process. Finally, Diana, it deeply saddens me how you have turned your back on your district. Our valid concerns have been disregarded, even villainized in the media. Where are you? You claim that this is all for families and children, but if you proceed with a plan that lacks support from the surrounding neighborhoods, not only will you fail the families with children in the shelter, but also the families with children in your district. Slow down and be transparent. Thank you. 
Thank you. Our next speaker was not on Zoom. It, Alina Rodriguez, are you in chambers? Okay. Our next speaker um, is Alex Pacheco. Hi, Council. Thank you for having us here today. Um, my childhood was traumatic. My parents regularly fought and the fighting was violent. I witnessed blood, bruises, police at my house, and on one occasion witnessed one parent come after the other with a butcher knife. There were heavy amounts of alcohol and drug present in my household, and my little, little brother once got a hold of some cocaine on a scale and had to be taken to the hospital because it was almost too much for his little heart to take. As an adult, the pain and trauma from my childhood was too much for me to cope with and subsequently sent me into my own spiral of addiction. It has taken me nearly a decade of therapy to recover from my childhood and my body still holds some of that anxiety which manifests itself in picking at my skin and discomfort at human touch. For years, I was resentful because I couldn't understand why no one stood up for me and my brother. The policies that we stand behind have an impact and this is a story about how the lack of barriers can have catastrophic consequences. Barriers aren't always a bad thing. Sometimes barriers are there to prevent a car from driving off a cliff. Some degree of barriers could have maybe prevented the baby housed at the Comfort Inn from dying. Let me say that again. Some number of barriers could have prevented a baby housed at the Comfort Inn from dying. Parents going into this family shelter are there for a variety of reasons. Some suffered a trauma or a financial setback. Some struggle with substance issues and some have crippling mental health challenges. Regardless of what got these families to the point of needing help, varying degrees of recovery are required for each of these families to get back to a point where they have some autonomy and agency over their lives. Recovery is hard and I know that because I am currently in recovery with two years sober. Recovery also requires active participation. The federal government adopted Housing First as a national policy as part of their plan to solve homelessness. This means that agencies who use federal dollars to address homelessness are not allowed to require participants who receive housing to engage in services, and I believe it is a huge mistake and that this policy has failed those who need the most help. Throwing money at a problem is not enough, and I believe this extremely loose policy is what's keeping people stuck in a vicious cycle of extreme poverty and self-destructive habits. We should be empowering people to be actively engaged in improving the quality of their lives and taking baby steps towards self-sufficiency, even if they never get there, which is okay, so that they have the confidence to manage life's ups and downs and by not requiring some degree of participation in services, it is possible that we are perpetuating the very same problem we are trying to solve. Thursday is my last day working for a large nonprofit, the largest here in Denver who serves the homeless and I quit because I have seen the impact of a very broken system. And Thank I Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's your time. Our next speaker is Michael Maroney. Good evening. Thank you for your kind attention. I live a half mile from the Embassy Suites and I've lived in that neighborhood for 38 years. Uh, uh, I also work in Globeville for even more time than that, um, for 40 years. Globeville has three now, I believe, homeless shelters. There's one, now the one in, in Hampton. So both ends of my life 
I bookend with homeless shelters. But prior to that, in, in my own neighborhood, we already have problems with uh, mailboxes being ransacked, cars being vandalized, uh, a car stolen. And on each one of those occasions, when we call the police, they say there is nothing they can do about it. At work in Globeville, we've had somebody shoot a hole through our front door, a person hold a gun up to our security cameras, and we called the police and they say, there's nothing they can do about it. That's where we already are. So when I see hundreds of people moving to a neighborhood, not putting any blame on them, but that's gonna put more strain, more responsibilities on law enforcement, which they obviously are having trouble dealing with the crime situation that already exists. Last Saturday, I attended the, the public information meeting at, at Hamilton. Um, and there was input from the community, but there was really no intention of adhering to the wishes of the majority. Mayor Johnson spoke and said he did campaign with homeless to his top issue. And therefore, since he was elected, he had a mandate and no longer really needed to listen to the community. That's, that's really a lazy argument and it's not carte blanche to fast track his agenda. A further demonstration that community input is not consequential is the Globeville community input meeting will take place after the vote. This demonstrates the administration sees the Globeville community is irrelevant. Is it because they're largely minority, largely poor? I don't know. And finally, I've heard a couple times tonight that this responsibility needs to be spread out throughout the city. I agree. However, Globeville has been saddled now with three homeless shelters. They have 600 residents or 600 rooms are gonna be dedicated to the homeless. Globeville as a whole has 1,334 households. That's 50% more people. Does that seem like the metric of spreading the responsibility across the city? I don't see how anybody can say that it is. Those are my concerns. Thank you very Thank you. much. Our next speaker signed up on Zoom, but they are not there. John Ferguson, are you in chambers? Okay. Casey Funk. Uh, thank you, members of the council. Uh, my name is Casey Fung. I'm a resident of Southmore Park East, a homeowners association. I'm also a member of the board of directors for that association. I did file or submit uh, a resolution that we passed over the weekend after the community meeting held by uh, Mayor Johnson. So I hope you had a chance to look at it. Uh, placing a temporary transition housing at the embassy suites will have a major impact on the Hampton corridor. We believe it will have a negative adverse effect on businesses and nearby residents. We are frustrated with the lack of engagement by the city in this matter. Uh, we heard about this in mid-November. We weren't contacted by anybody from the city. We have met with Councilwoman Romero Campbell a few times. Uh, and, and, and got, she, she knows what our concerns are. Uh, what we would like is some sort of, uh, we, a meaningful engagement with 
the city and the city engaging with the HOAs and RNOs in that community. We are an RNO, but we haven't heard from the city and we haven't sat down with the city to converse with our concerns. We are also willing to consider a good neighbor agreement if it is signed by the city, which I understand they are always reluctant to do because it's either between a developer and a resident or some sort of situation like that. But here we have the city owning the building. And so they should engage with us and they should sign an agreement with us on this. As Coach Brine said, we aren't, we are, I should say, we ain't hard to find. They can contact us. We can meet with them. We can sit down and go through our concerns with them. And if they're willing, we will consider making an agreement with the city so they can move forward on this complex. The mayor at the meeting, community meeting, it was a massive community meeting, which was held two days ago. One working day for us to consider it and to comment on it. The mayor made numerous promises to everybody in the community. We would like to see these promises in writing that we can agree upon and that we can share our concerns with him and also get that in writing. So please reject this proposal or table this proposal until the city can engage with us. Thank you for your time and your service. Our next speaker in chambers is Eric Banner. Council members, my name is Eric Banner. I live in District 5 near the intersection of Colfax and Monaco. And I also serve as the senior minister at the First Universalist Church of Denver, a proud faith community in Denver for the last 130 years. Our church is located at the corner of Colorado and Hamden Avenue. There is a story in our city that says that homelessness is a problem on the Colfax corridor or at Civic Center Park. But what I know, because I go to work every day, is that homelessness is a problem everywhere in our city. Our church was proud and remains so to be the site of the first safe parking mm -hmm. community in the city of Denver and remains one of only two to this day. Each and every day when I go to work, I see the residents working hard to get their lives together. And I also see the people who come to us looking for help that we and our small lot, just eight permitted parking spaces, cannot provide. We are proud to be part of the solution, but the solutions to the problems facing our community are so much bigger than just the private sector or government or nonprofits alone can provide. We must all work together. We know because we are right there, right along the High Line Canal Trail, that there are people who come and go looking for a safe place to sleep at night, and we can't help them. We know that there are families with small children looking for a safe place to call home, and a parking lot isn't it. We know that there is a need 
that extends far beyond the places in our community that people say that's where the homeless people are. It is present in each and every part of our community. This coming Sunday evening at five o'clock, our church will gather like so many others. We will light candles and retell an ancient story 2,000 years ago about a young family sent out into the cold of winter by government officials who said, go, even if there isn't any room at the inn. And so I ask us all, not just you as councilmen, but to all of us as community, to consider the question this year and this holiday season, who are we? Will we be Caesar and Herod, or will we be the angels of the Lord, bringing good tidings to all people? I hope that you approve this measure. Thank you. Our next speaker in chambers is uh, Nolan Hahn. Uh, hello, uh, I, 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 I'm Nolan Hahn, the, the president of the uh, of the of the Alma Lincoln Park Neighborhood Association, and a a lead with with yes in my backyard, Denver. I'm here asking council to support this critical project to get children off of our streets and into a. It, 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 into a safe sh 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 shelter before it gets even colder and more dangerous this winter. But I also want this council to reflect on how we got into this housing crisis. You spent 10 minutes tonight listening to someone talk about a rezoning for a duplex that was in compliance with four different plans. Um, Requiring a project, especially one that small, to go through this much work just to get two homes built in Denver is exactly why we are in the in the, the, the crisis that, that we're in now. I asked this council to think about that and to think about what we could do to get homes to the this city as fast as possible and to treat this like the crisis it is. Um, the, we, we, we must do more to, to, to come at this problem from both the short term, which such as this uh, hotel project and the long term. And if we don't do both, we will never, uh, we will never make any uh, Headway. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker joining us on Zoom is Cheris Berlinberg. Hi, thank you all so much for letting me speak this evening. And a big thank you to everyone that participated, and of course, all of the council representatives. As was said, my name is Cheris Klein Berlinberg, and I live in South Moore. I live with Two young children. My daughter is three, my son is one, and I ask you to oppose this measure. And I'm not asking you to oppose it because I don't care about homeless people. I do. But I also care about this community. 
And there is a way to do both, but this is not it. The mayor ran on a platform, a great platform, a platform that he won off of. And that platform was about building micro communities for homeless people throughout the city. Now, in looking online, the definition of a micro community is about 30 members. The community that we're talking about from Hampton is over 200 units. That means we could be bringing in potentially 800 people. There is nothing micro about this type of community. On the website, the mayor states over and over again about how he will solve homelessness. And the word micro is always put before community. I ask you to oppose this rezoning until there is a limitation to the number of units that can be put in this community and more work is done to ensure that there will not be a negative community impact. As city council members, you all have a responsibility for all of us, a responsibility for me and my family, and of course, to help those that are homeless and in need. But by bringing too many people into a hotel, they're not able to be adequately assisted and the neighborhood suffers. Find that thoughtful balance. Limit the number of people to 50 family units, which then has the potential to bring in around 200 people. Wow, that's a lot of lives that could be helped while still helping to mitigate the potential negative impact. I thank you all for your time. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is not on Zoom, uh, Jonathan Pura. I don't see him in chambers, okay. Our next speaker is John Case. Good evening, my name is John Case. I'm a Hamden Heights resident for 45 years, raised four children there. Uh, the first uh, public input on this project was Saturday, two days ago. About 800 people showed up. Mr. Cashman was there, and he can tell you that at least 80% of the people who appeared opposed the project. Why don't the residents want this project in our district? it'll be unsafe. We know that homeless people like to use drugs. The two drugs of choice are fentanyl and methamphetamine. This proposed project has no barrier to drug users. So even though they say it's for families, a family is any adult accompanied by at least one child. There's a park that's a three-minute Bible park. One of the most beautiful parks in the city is a three-minute walk from the embassy suites. 
The kids at Hamilton Junior High School, where three of my kids went, can walk to Bible Park in five minutes. And a lot of them do as soon as school lets out. So you've got a meeting place, you've got drugs, and we, got a, we have a drug problem now, but it's gonna get a lot worse. So why aren't more people here speaking up if the residents were so against it? Well, one reason is the city website today said that you all were going to approve this proposed contract at 3.30 p.m. today. So to anyone who took the time to think about whether they wanted to come or not, saw immediately this was already a done deal because you were supposed to vote on it at 3.30. Now, has, has council voted on the contract yet? No? All right, well, most of the people who looked at this today would have understood that you had already voted, so why show up if it's already over? A second reason is corruption. There's evidence surfacing that the mayor has an interest in one of the entities that's involved in this. This needs to be put off until that can be properly investigated and determined. If you build it, homeless will come. Thank you that's very much. Thank you. Uh, we bring up our next in-chamber speaker, Joanna Rosa Signs. You are in Zoom twice. Please raise your hand so we know who to bring in um, uh, to the panel. Uh, Greg Blue. Good evening. My name is Greg Blue. I live in District 4, about a mile and a half from the Embassy Suites. Many of my neighbors support this project, as well as a pastoral staff at Calvary Baptist Church at the corner of Monaco and Hamden, where I attend. Compassion. We need more compassion for our fellow man, woman, and child. Every child deserves to grow up with a roof over their heads and food on the table. We as good neighbors should be there to lend a helping hand. And that hand includes supporting the Embassy Suites project by saying yes. Homelessness is an issue in all parts of Denver, so housing needs to be in all parts of Denver. One fear in the community is that new residents will trash our neighborhoods. I have seen private, commercial, and city properties that need to be cleaned up. Another fear is that new residents will increase the crime in our neighborhoods. Crime's already here, and just like in any other part of Denver. So I do not believe that these new families with small children will make either of these any worse. The Embassy Suites is a perfect location off of the busy streets, close to grocery stores, Target, fast food, schools, job opportunities, and parks for the kids to play. This is why this project is all about providing children with a safe place to live and their parents to get their lives in order. With many of the services that will be provided at this site, they have an opportunity to make this happen. This is the city council members and the mayor's office. Be open and honest with us. If a program or a project is having difficulties, let us know. Do not whitewash it. Tell us what is not working and ask for suggestions. If it's not going to reach its goal, that's okay. Mm -hmm. 
it may still be a partial success and that is better than not doing anything at all. The Mayor's House 1000 initiative is a lofty goal and I hope they find, I hope it reaches it. But if it's not reached, it's still a success. He has done something that no other mayor has ever done before, and that is to get people off the streets and into housing. Keep it up. The Embassy Suites building is a perfect place for families, and I ask council members to approve this very important project. I have not heard if a name has been thought of, so my suggestion is House of Hope. I want to thank Councilwoman Campbell for working so hard to make this possible and to the rest of the council for your support. Countless people need yours and our help. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, our next uh, speaker is on Zoom, Joanna Rosa Sines. Hi, good evening, uh, council members. Thank you so much um, for taking swift and urgent action um, in uh, to file and approve both the purchase and sale agreement and master lease for Embassy Suites Hotel at 7525 East Hampton. This site is critical because it supports families and children living in Denver who do not have access to safety and stability that we all need to thrive. I am here with Carolina, Moises, and Lenis. They left Venezuela and arrived here on Thanksgiving Day and were put in a hotel for 14 days and now living under a bridge on Fox and 48th. It has been very cold for them. It's been very hard. And it is really important that we help these families um, and children as a society. I ask and urge a yes vote for the embassy suites as it is critical that we get families like these housed immediately. They are here in part of our community and it is important that we show that in return, show them what an amazing mayor and council we have. This site will enable our city to immediately cut our family shelter waistline in half and serve a growing number of families and children who struggle to afford the cost of living in Denver. Additionally, I applaud you for working to create the first ever temporary housing shelter site in Southeast Denver. This site makes a major commitment to our shared focus around the equitable distribution of homelessness response system across our entire city. I very much appreciate and thank you for taking this bold action and courage to continue taking this in our council district and regions throughout our city that have not yet stepped forward for our most vulnerable community members in this way. Thank you again for your leadership. Uh, Joanna Rosa Signs. I am here speaking on myself, not on behalf of all the boards that I sit on. I do have an international nonprofit, Joanna Signs Enterprises. Um, I do ask that you look at these faces and understand that these were the people that you will be helping. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. Thank you. Our next speaker signed up on Zoom, Melissa Mejia. She's not there. Melissa, I think, left chambers as well. Okay. Uh, next speaker, Desil Hammerski is not on Zoom. Are they in chambers? Okay. Um, our next speaker, Christine Christian. Good evening, my name is Christine Britton. I am a resident of Southmore Park. 
and I am here in opposition of this being passed this evening. I do consider it disingenuous to call this a courtesy hearing. It is discourteous to allow us to speak when so much has already been undertaken without our consent or our involvement as members of the community. The fact that we are being vilified, those of us who are opposed to this passing as it is, is completely unfair. The people in, sport, in support of converting the Hamden, or the embassy suites rather, have not cornered the market on compassion. The rest of us care about children being housed as well. My question, and one that I posed on Saturday to the mayor himself, and on which he demurred, is why will you not put in writing with the members of the community that this will be for families, for families permanently. It is not helpful to our community to bring in children and have them join our school, Southmore Park, for three months and then move them out to other housing. That is not good for the children, nor is it good for the children who live in Southmore Park. My children walk to Target. It has been a real pride of ours that we allow free range parenting, that our kids are safe enough to be able to go out and experience independence. And if truly this is going to be families, I think that you would find that there would be little resistance. However, the fact that this has been undertaken in secrecy without our involvement is an absolute repudiation of the democratic process and of representative government. This is being shoved down our throats. I deeply resent it. We care deeply about our community. I live this every day. Our home is our one asset. We heard many people on Saturday say that they were one paycheck away or one emergency away from losing their homes. This is all we would have were that emergency to happen to us. Thank you very much. That concludes our speakers. Are there questions from members of council on 1968? Okay, um, Councilman Cashman. Yeah, thank you, uh, Madam President. Um, got a few, uh, let's see, that, the question, I don't know whether it's Cole or, or Lisa, um, that issue of will we commit that it's gonna be a family shelter uh, for two years? What I heard on Saturday, and I think I heard in the presentation, the intention is a couple of years of family shelter then hopefully transitioning into affordable housing. Um, can we commit that while it's a shelter, it'll be a family shelter? Yes, sir. Cole Chandler, Mayor Johnston, Senior Advisor for Homelessness Resolution. You heard very clearly out of the mayor's mouth on Saturday, and I'll echo here. As long as this site is a shelter, it will be a site for families. 
Okay, thank you very much. Um, uh, Lisa, one thing I wish you would clarify. You said if this passes tonight, you'll be back in front of us in February. Would you explain what? Sure, so for the certificate of participation, which is the financing mechanism to actually acquire it, um, the Department of Finance will be back to present it. Um, as I shared with you at committee earlier, um, the I had specifically asked our team in finance where normally they would go out and we would be doing this side by side. I wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity to talk to council members first so that you weren't hearing it on the street that they were out talking to the markets already. So that's why we are here first, assuming it is approved. Um, if it is approved, they will go forward with the market then, get the bond or the financing ready, and then they bring that document back to city council for approval. And did you give a specific date you thought that I, would be? I think I, we can, I can circle back with you, but I believe it's the 2nd February that it'll be at FinGov. Okay, so we've got from now about five or six months for thing, excuse me, weeks, weeks. for uh, a good neighbor agreement to get negotiated. Whatever agreements that, yes, would be in general, yes. And as far as that goes, and I don't know whether our attorney needs to weigh in, but um, there's no legal requirement that it be with a registered neighborhood group. Is that correct? I'm, I'm wondering if any, if a broader group of community members can participate in that discussion. Thanks, Councilman Cashman, on Shabaga, Assistant City Attorney. Obviously, I don't advise Department of Finance as to what contracts the city can enter into, but overall, your question, good neighbor agreements generally are between um, a registered neighborhood organization and, say, a liquor licensee or some other licensee. There's no requirement that the party to a GNA be a registered neighborhood organization, though. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, uh, Cole, please. Um, there's been a lot of concern that there have been problems at the Comfort Inn and uh, folks are uh, concerned of a similar situation here. Can you talk about that? Are those problems, uh, have they occurred at Comfort Inn? Is there a, some sort of difference that would give us more confidence in this location? Yeah, great question. So um, I think I, one of the things I wanna say is that we as the administration have great trust in the Salvation Army to deliver high quality services. And so that's why they have been selected to, uh, to deliver services at so many of our sites. We believe that they treat people with dignity, um, that they are very great at helping people come in and then transition to longer term housing outcomes. And so they're a great operator for us. Um, they have also been the largest operator serving families in their family sheltering program. And so um, that makes them the most qualified to continue offering those services. In terms of the particular um, concerns around the Comfort Inn, uh, many folks uh, were aware that in the news there was a, an event that happened within the last um, couple of months that um, was a, there was a violent incident where someone was hurt. And that was something that uh, we, you know, no one ever wants to see take place, but we were pleased with the way the Salvation Army responded to that, de-escalated that situation, and ultimately served not only the families involved in that, but the broader families as well. When we look at the crime data around this site, this site is not one of the uh, most frequent uh, sites that receives calls or interactions from police. And so we do see that as it serves families, um, it is a site that 
is not one of the um, highest frequencies of uh, police incidents at this particular location. We also have Chief Thomas on Zoom if you have questions for him. Okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, Chief Thomas is on. I'll just sure. pursue this. Can you promote Chief Thomas? And please cut me off when you need someone else. Okay, to you're good. Not you. <laughs> Chief Thomas, are you there, sir? I am, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. Um, I, I wonder if you could speak. Uh, you spoke a little bit at the meeting on Saturday. Um, you know, there are concerns that what is intended to be, I think everybody in the community on all sides of this issue would be happy as clams if they felt assured it would be safe for the people inside the walls and safe for the community outside the walls. Can you speak at all to um, your feelings of, of your ability uh, for DPD to uh, assure the community that you'll have your eye on this property and keep them safe should problems arise? Uh, yes, Councilman, thank you for the question. And uh, just for everyone's clarification, uh, different police chief Ron Thomas. Um, so yes, uh, I strongly believe that, you know, understanding that we currently uh, respond to um, illegal encampments four to 5,000 times a year, that uh, when we are able to resolve a number of these encampments, put people into supportive housing, that that will alleviate a significant amount of our call load and allow us the opportunity to provide, um, you know, safety for, you know, this particular facility and all the other uh, facilities that are, are going to be coming online here in the very near future. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I think that this is the, the right solution and one that will um, allow us greater capacity. Okay, thank you, Chief. Um... Cole, I guess you'd be the best one. My, and this is my last question, Thank Madam you. President. Um, we, we've heard a lot about um, the um, encampment that's been grown around the uh, hotel at 26th and Zunai, which is one of our locations sheltering uh, migrant uh, uh, migrant uh, visitors to our city. Um, no one wants the 600 person encampment outside this hotel. How can we assure the community that won't happen? Great question, really appreciate that. Um, we will not have an encampment outside of this location. Um, and there's a couple of key differences I want to make. Um, with the migrant sheltering programs, those have a length of stay policy where people are um, moved out after a certain number of days. Um, over the last year, you know, the, the emergency declaration on migrants just turned a year old a, a little while ago. I know it lapsed, but from the date that it was first passed, it turned a year old. Um, we brought 30,000 people into the city uh, through the migrant efforts over the last 12 months. And so the vast majority of those have found their way to housing, more than 99%, whether that's here or in other communities. But there are people that have uh, been encamped because they haven't been able to find their next step once the length of stay policy um, is timed up. That is not the case with these family shelters uh, for people experiencing homelessness from our communities. There's not a date at which someone will be removed from the site and therefore have a need to camp outside. And so programmatically, those things are different. We also have a very serious commitment 
um, that we will not allow encampments to form outside of these um, House 1000 sites. And so um, you will see that we uh, pay extra special close attention to ensure that that's the case in partnership with DPD, in partnership with SET, um, through our police and 311 response. And so that will be a particular focus of ours at this site as well. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Madam President, for the time. Thank you very much. And just a reminder, council members, we're in the question period. We'll do comments after. Councilwoman Romero Campbell. Thank you, Council President. Um, I have a few questions and maybe we could just go ahead and start with um, safety. I wanted to ask a little bit more and since Chief Thomas is on the line, um, hopefully you can answer. Um, you know, there has been a number of uh, comments you know, next door and so forth about the 911 call log. Um, can you talk or speak a little bit more to um, what that data shows us? And can you just tell us more about that 911 call log? Yes, and you know, fair question, fair concern. Um, you know, I, I would say that yes, the, you know, the Comfort Inn um, does have a high volume of calls, uh, comparatively speaking. But uh, for context, so does every other uh, large residential facility in the city. So, you know, it's, it's the number of individuals that create the, the high call volume. You know, looking a little bit uh, closer at the data, you know, um, it, it shows that um, while there are, are, is a higher call volume, there's actually a very low instance of police reports. And so what that tells me is that um, most of these calls are very low acuity, often medical related calls, uh, welfare checks and things of that nature. So not um, instances where crimes have actually occur, occurred that uh, require us to take a report. Um, uh, very, very few uh, drug offenses, very, very few significantly violent uh, events. Obviously there was the stabbing that occurred um, uh, back in October, but outside of that, uh, very low instance of violent crime and again, extremely low instance of, of, of drug-related crimes. Thank you. I, I see that um, Midori is also online. Midori, maybe this is a question for you or, for, or maybe for Cole, I'm not quite sure. Um, in bringing folks from Comfort Inn into uh, Embassy Suites, it's not 200 um, rooms. And I know that you had talked about um, some of the rooms were kind of suites with one another. Does, does that not correlate or kind of what is the can you talk to us a little bit more about what that transition plan is um, for families coming in and um, what that means for actual suites being used? Um, thank you, council member. And Midori is online. And so if she has anything to add after I share, she can do so. Um, so I'll speak to the transition plan. Uh, I'm looking for her and she's not here. I was looking for her on the screen. Oh. <laughs> um, so, uh, I'll speak to the transition plan um, that's taking place over the course of this next month. Um, what we are doing is transitioning the existing comfort and program to uh, this site, right? And so there's 138 rooms at the existing comfort and program. So we will transition the families that are there into this site. We will not immediately expand and make it into a 205 um, unit site the day that people move in. And so I heard 
a question about kind of a phased opening. That is essentially what is happening here. We are uh, phasing in the 138 rooms. And then as the Salvation Army staffs up, um, we will uh, phase in the additional rooms. And so ultimately there will be an expansion of the program. We will be able to cut the family waiting list in half as it currently stands, but that won't happen on day one. We'll transition the program in, phase it in, and then as they staff up, we will bring on additional rooms. Um, Midori, would you like to add anything? Yeah, um, I would add, so we're currently is 136 out of the 138 rooms at the Comfort Inn to our staff offices. Um, and will hold any intakes a couple of days prior to make sure that we're not creating too much transition for folks um, in that. Also would love to address Councilman Cashman's question about backend resources. So as we've shared before, there is um, rapid rehousing funding attached to the family shelter that we have. So it will continue at the new site at embassy. Um, and so both Salvation Army and Jewish Family Services, which is someone who spoke during public comment today um, have access to those rapid rehousing funds specific to uh, the shelter itself. Thank you. Um, I have another question about um, the good neighbor agreement. And so uh, Cole, I don't know if this is you or Angela or somebody who's, who's on that team um, to maybe explain a little bit more about a good neighbor agreement, how we can make sure that um, community is engaged in that. I know that there's been a process, but can you can you share a little bit more about what the Good Neighbor Agreement could look like and what that timeline um, would be? Yes, ma'am. So um, we uh, began allowing people to express interest on Saturday and joining the Good Neighbor uh, Agreement process. And that's the that mirrors the process that we've done around all the sites. Um, to date. And so as sites have moved forward, we have allowed people, we've opened up a form, allow people to submit interest, to apply, to be in a good neighbor negotiating committee. And once we form that group of 10 to 12 people to help negotiate the good neighbor agreement, we have a professional facilitator who will come in and outline the items that we have on the table to help the negotiation along. Um, and so then we will go line by line through all of that um, between the negotiating committee and come up with an agreement that everyone included feels good about. And then people, uh, organizations will have the opportunity to sign on. And so um, immediately people are able to begin signing up to be a part of that negotiation negotiating committee. And then we'll spend a couple of weeks um, uh, in the negotiation process and then intend to execute it um, by, by sure by the time that you see the COP in February. Thank you. Um, I, I do have two more questions. Can I just go quickly, President Torres? Please do. Okay. Um, the other two questions that I have um, are about accountability and operations. Um, Midori, is that also you that would be able to answer um, some of those accountability um, questions and making sure the Salvation Army is meeting their um, their commitments and what repercussions we have if they aren't. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I forgot to introduce myself before Midori Higa, she, her pronouns, Director of Homelessness Resolution Programs for the record. Um, yeah, so um, for host contracts, we, uh, we require everyone to have outputs and outcomes for their contracts. So saying what you're going to do to achieve the big outcome. Um, and so 
those are things that we track month over month um, as um, as program officers or contract uh, management folks on my team. So we largely work to have site visits quarterly. Um, so that requires reviewing report data that the agency submitted and also reviewing our uh, homeless management information system uh, data, which is database information about the outcomes and services that are provided by a service agency. So those are one of the big ways that we do it. Um, we're also looking to track their spending, making sure that they're spending the things they said they would spend their money on and that they're doing so in a timely fashion. Um, that also requires sometimes a review of backup documentation or answering questions for the provider or for our finance team about how, how they're spending or what they're spending their money on. Um, we also have, for families specifically, uh, a, a family group that meets monthly um, that's led by our family a program officer. So they're working in collaboration with other team members. This particular site currently has monthly meetings, um, or I'm sorry, bi-weekly meetings uh, with host staff. So we're really tracking what they're doing and how it's going and what improvements we need to make, whether that's policies and procedures or whether that's a uh, consideration of what services are offered on site. So really working to provide as much wraparound to this service provider as we want the service provider to provide to the family. Thank you. Um, I think that there's, and are you open to having um, community be a part of, um, like how how does the community currently, or how do um, community members currently are able to engage with, you know, the Salvation Army and in programming um, in that accountability? I know that we have a lot of, I've heard a lot of um, feedback from, you know, neighbors of, hey, I have this skill. Hey, I want to do this. I want to be able to assess and look at outcomes. Is there a form or a way for that to happen? Or are you willing to kind of open that up for, oh my, open that up for, um, um, for community process? Yeah, I don't think that host itself has a way for that currently. And Salvation Army might have a volunteer process through their organization. And that's something I can, of course, get to you all. Um, but also very open to figuring out how community members can give. I definitely heard that in public comment too, where folks were like, sign me up. I'm ready to be there and support. So happy to sort out whatever we need to with your um, office, Councilwoman. Thank you. Um, and I do have just one last question and then I'll go back in queue. Um, and this one is uh, referring to the business um, engagement and outreach. Is Angela, maybe she's the right one to answer this one. Go ahead with your question. Ms. Angela Casillas. Um, I wanted to know if we could get a commitment from the mayor's office um, for um, the business engagement and the roundtable. I know that there have been broader city business engagement opportunities, um, but really being able to pull in um, Dito and the, and the mayor into um, a broader conversation for business engagement. Yes. Hi, Angela Casillas, Director of Legislative Affairs for the Mayor. And um, we are currently working on having a bi-monthly business roundtable, um, including the Mayor's Office and Safety and other agencies, including DITO. And we're going to try and get that started here in January. Um, do we have a date or is that something that we can get done with by before mid-January? 
Uh, we'll have a date and um, get it out to the public and you, and so you could be able to share it. I don't have a date tonight. Um, but we would get commitment from the mayor's office that business engagement with Dito and safety could occur. Yes. Thank you. Yes, I can do. I can go ahead and get that in writing and make a commitment for that. Thank you. Um, those are all my questions for right now, Council President. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I've got four council members in the queue. Councilman Flynn. Thank you, Madam President. Um, Lisa, could I ask you a few clarifying questions? Because whether one is supporting this or one is opposed to this, I think we all ought to agree on on the set of facts <laughs> on the ground. There's been uh, a lot of discussion about the purchase price being $21 million, and but the contract here or the uh, resolution is 31 million, just under 39 yeah. million. And so there's a suspicion that suddenly we're paying $10 million more. Uh, but in your presentation, and I don't want people to have missed that, uh, you explained what that is. So is it true that the purchase price is $21 million? Correct. Okay. Uh, parenthetically, I might add, the current owner of the embassy suites in 2018 paid almost $24 million for the property. So they're taking a little bit of a haircut on this. And I believe they did some capital improvements. Uh, the difference then of almost $10 million is due to the fact that we will not purchase this until sometime next year, early next year, depending on the, uh, the debt uh, uh, transaction, the certificates of participation. So. Uh, we will occupy it, though, as early as December 28, 29, and pay rent. Correct. Monthly rent, which was about $825,000 a month. Mm -hmm. You have built into this, I'm bleeding the witness if this were a courtroom. I watched Perry, <laughs> Perry Mason the other night. Uh, you have built into this contract up to $9.9 .9 more dollars to accommodate not just those first three or four months of rent, or three months is what you're considering, but also potentially if the sale does not go through and we have to vacate it, we have some capacity for additional rent, at least for a 12 month period. So the question mm -hmm. is, does the owner of the embassy suites, the current owner, get $30.9 million automatically or just 21 million plus whatever rent period is incurred. 21 plus rent. Okay, so we, we may not spend, we may not give the owner of the hotel $30.9 million. That is absolutely- That's the maximum. Correct. If we close the purchase in March, then we've only rented for three months and that's 2.45 million, mm -hmm. 2.45 million, something like that. Correct. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. So. Thank you, that, that, I think that settles the, the price on it. Now, in our briefings, you had, I think, explained some circumstances that led me to uh, believe, uh, and I wanna make sure this is correct, that the Embassy Suites Hotel had been uh, looked at by a, an affordable housing developer, uh, a well-known one, if I can say their name. As Okay, you're think. not going to? Can I say it? Well, I'm gonna. She can't give me permission either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. 
there was a, an affordable housing developer that's worked in Denver mm -hmm. uh, for quite some time mm -hmm. that had targeted that and approached the owner and actually had a sale agreement in August mm -hmm. and had approached the city to, uh, in the interim and before an affordable, before the financing could be put together to develop a permanent affordable housing there to let the city use it as a temporary uh, non-congregate sheltering. They could not put the numbers together and then they assigned their purchase and sale agreement to Urban Land Conservancy slash Archway, mm -hmm. which inherited the same uh, consideration that the city might use this as non-congregate shelter. Correct. In the meantime, uh, when we had looked at that, and by we, I mean you, not me, uh, looked at that, we saw that the amount of money that would be changing hands really justified the city purchasing that rather than going through this rental deal with ULC and Archway. And so therefore, that's what this item is about. This is about us becoming the, the being assigned the existing purchase and sale agreement from ULC and Archway, ULC Urban Land Conservancy, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, one last thing. Uh, I don't think that you can address this. I don't know if Angela can either, but there was some uh, testimony tonight about uh, Mayor Johnston maybe benefiting from this transaction. And so I don't know if I can ask uh, Angela or if there's someone else from the mayor's office or if the, is, is the mayor on Zoom? <laughs> Probably. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, now, the mayor was the head of Gary Community Ventures. The, the only connection I could find between Gary Community Ventures and Urban Land Conservancy, I looked at their last five years, the Gary's last five years of 990s with the IRS, was in 2020 uh, when Mayor Johnson was then uh, the head of Gary Community, uh, awarded among its awards that year, uh, a $1 million grant to ULC to support low and moderate income residents to attain and sustain ownership. To your knowledge, and Angela, you may or may not want to speak to this. I don't know if you have a, you know, if you know an answer to it, or if Lisa can. To your knowledge, there's no involvement by Gary Community Ventures in the ULC Archway agreement with the owner of the Embassy Suites. And what I will say is the developer, the original developer buyer that I'm not naming, actually, they have done work together or in collaboration or side by side with ULC before. So it was okay. not unusual for some of these affordable housing developers and certainly ULC is brought to the table often for the land itself so that it does stay in the trust. Mm -hmm. So no, I am not aware of any other outside of right. that, their relationship, anything else. Right. So, I mean, ULC is not a subsidiary of Gary Community Ventures nor the other way around. The only connection is they were a grant recipient in 2020. That is and so in this age of Twitter or X or, and social media and, and stories that get flung out of proportion, I just want to make it clear that I have seen no indication that Mayor Johnson has any interest in this deal at all, other than being the mayor, being the one who's going to sign the, the deed eventually. Standing to Okay, mm -hmm. thank you. So no matter whether we're opposed to this or support this, I just want to make sure that everybody's on the same, the same footing. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. Present. Three council members in queue. Councilwoman Alvidres. Thank you, Council President, and thank you, Councilman Flynn, for that detailed uh, questioning. I appreciate that. 
because I do think there was a lot of misinformation and misconstruing of facts that was very confusing to follow. So thank you. Um, one of my questions, and I believe, is anybody from the Salvation Army here? I think it would be for them. Um, my question is, what happens when someone get kicks out from the facility? And how often does that happen? Can we get the name of who's joining us on Zoom for Salvation Army? Richard Peace. Richard Peace. 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 P-E-A-S-E. P-E-A-S-E. Got him? Okay, he's on the way. Major Peace, are you there? I am here. Can you hear me all right? Yes. Councilwoman Alvidez, can you ask your question again? Yes. Thank you for being here, uh, Major Peace. Uh, my question was just how often do families get kicked out of the shelters and what happens in that case? And what are the reasons that people get kicked out of the shelter? So um, there's a variety of reasons that folks exit the uh, family shelter. Uh, generally, it's if there's uh, something that's caused uh causes a safety or security uh, issue either to them or to their neighbors in the shelter. Um, I don't have exact figures of how many have exited uh, for those reasons uh, tonight. I can get that to you. Um, but what does happen is we do try to ensure that when someone exits the shelter, we're not just putting them back out on the street. But if there are other shelters, uh, sometimes it's just that the environment of our shelter isn't the best community fit for them. So we do try to work with uh, our other partners to get them into another um, shelter or to try to ensure that uh, they're in another housing situation that can help them move towards stability. So um, it's an extremely rare case. Uh, for example, um, it was mentioned the uh, incident that happened at the Comfort Inn in October. Uh, all of those families that left, we actually worked to get them into other shelters uh, as best we could. We didn't just put them out on the street just because there had been an incident. Uh, some of them we ended up putting up in hotels for a couple of days while we sorted out uh, where we could get them to be safe and secure. Great. Thank you. That's it for me. Thank you, Council President. Thank you. Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, Council President. Um, Cole, I heard the encampment on 27th and Zunai in Council District 1 mentioned very different, uh, mentioned numerous times in the hearing. Is this shelter for migrant, migrant um, the, the newcomer community? So, uh, great question. This, uh, this shelter is for families experiencing homelessness in Denver. That means typically that it has served folks that are from this community, we see that, you know, 85% of people experiencing homelessness in Denver were last housed in the area. Um, there is a new reality in our city, which is families are ending up in encampments on our streets um, as a result of the migrant crisis. And so that forces us to grapple with that problem in a different way. As we conceive of this challenge, of this site and this challenge, we uh, imagine that it's for, for families that come through the family wait list. That means they um, reach out through the Denver Gov website uh, through Find Shelter and indicate they want to be on the family wait list. And that's how they're triaged into the site. Um, that being said, there is not a question asked of 
whether or not you're a US citizen or what your last address was. That is not a requirement or a qualifier um, for receiving services at this site. And so when we think about what was this program created for when it was originally created and what was it conceived of, it wasn't conceived of to serve migrant families. But we do see as encampments grow of migrants that those two issues are, are conflating. And so I think it's, it's possible that migrant families could wind up in this site, but that's not exactly the intention of this location. Thank you for that answer. One last question. How, would, how is there, you mentioned a waiting list. So is that how you, um, uh, not program, is that how you'll bring in over time, sorry, I can't think of that for me. Yeah. Um, people who are on that wait list, you'll do them in kind of like tranches, like buckets of people. Can you just talk to us about how these families will get into the embassy suites if this were to pass tonight? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually would love to call in Midori to make sure you get great specific information on that. Yeah, thank you. I uh, feel you on the overtime, so my brain does not feel as quick as, as it usually does tonight. Um, so we have with the Salvation Army a, a contract for the Connection Center, and the Connection Center is a call center, and, and people can walk in, um, and it does a lot of things. Uh, one of those things is to support folks, uh, specifically families that are looking for shelter. Um, and so they work to understand that person's experience or that household's experience of homelessness, and then they'll add them to the wait list and maintain communication with them to get them to a shelter once a shelter spot is available. And that's not just for um, the family non-congregate shelter that Salvation Army has, that's for all of the um, family shelters that we have in our community. So Lambeth, Family Promise, um, VOA, Family Motel, um, and inclusive of Sam House, even though that's not a place that we contract with. So it's really a great centralized tool for us to get folks into shelter. And while we had 120 families on our wait list last week, that is a number that's constantly changing. And the Connection Center works with families to also look at resolution options while they are waiting to move into shelter. Is there somewhere else that they can go? Is there a reunification that's an option? Um, so we will use that list to fill the rooms as um, we are able to do so. Um, but there are other places that folks can go in the meantime. Thank you. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Madam President. Cole, this question is for you. Um, we've heard about the family shelter um, focus of uh, the embassy suites. I, I was there on Saturday. I think uh, Mayor Johnson was very clear that it is only a family shelter, that, uh, that as long as it's a shelter, it will be only for families. You just said it also here tonight, uh, live on Channel 8. My question is, will you and the administration be willing to put that in writing? Yes, sir. We are more than happy to put that in writing and we'll share that with all of council. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. That's my only question. Thank you. And back to Councilman Romero-Campbell. Last question. Thank you, Council President. Um, and thank you, Councilman Watson, for asking that because that's just what I was going to ask. Um, but since you've asked it, I'm going to ask one last question. <laughs> and I think this would be to Midori. Um, as a family shelter, um, can you guarantee that this, we've heard a lot to, um, this evening um, in public comment about um, warming sites and in general public comment in, about warming sites and, um, and, and places for people to go when it's extremely cold. Um, this, my understanding is that this shelter would not be a warming shelter because of the family nature of it. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. 
Um, so embassy suites is not meant to be any type of warming shelter or anything like that. So um, when we have maximized the use of our family shelter options during a cold weather event, um, in the current state, I can't speak to anything that's going to happen after this moment, but in the current state, we work to provide motel rooms for families um, for up to three nights or however long the cold weather event is in order for them to be safe and inside. Okay. So this wouldn't be pulling people from, you know, just off the street into, into the shelter. This would remain for those who are currently, um, that would be in the shelter that are the families that have a room. Correct. Okay. And they couldn't say, Hey, I have a guest and now I'm going to pull them in. This would just oh, be no. <laughs> for the families that are in, yeah. that are registered within the shelter. Correct. Um, and that is also not only because of the safety for the children and the families inside, it isn't practice or, you know, I, I think it's, I am, I just want to make sure that we are safe inside the shelter as well as residents outside the shelter. So um yeah um major pease is coming on and i'm sure he can comment a little bit more about the practice for allowing guests but that's not traditionally a practice especially in family shelter because all those people would need to be screened to be in that space but mm -hmm. yeah uh, the family shelter is designed to support those folks that are within that site it's a 24 7 model um so we are working 24 7 to make sure that those folks that are there are supported and so the city would go to whatever uh do, to do whatever it needed to do to ensure that families that are seeking out shelter on in a cold weather event would have somewhere else to stay and anyone else that wouldn't fall necessarily in that category of a household with an adult and minor children um, would have an alternative option as well. Thank you. Major Thank please. you, Council President. I don't have any further questions. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, seeing no one else in queue. The public hearing is closed. Uh, comments by members of council on resolution 1968. And we will um, just queue up um, Councilwoman Romero Campbell, Councilwoman for this district. There are 12 council members who signed on to co-sponsor this. I won't automatically queue you up. So if you want to, if you have comments to make, you can um, chime in. Uh, Councilman Romero Campbell. Oops, gotta take myself off of mute. Um, thank you, council president. Um, I just wanna thank everyone who came um, tonight, who spoke, um, those who came to Hamilton Middle School for the community information meeting this last Saturday. Um, and again, I'm disappointed I can't be there in person tonight. Um, I'm sick and uh, don't wanna spread those germs. So district four, I hear you and I will continue to hear you. And I hear the concerns and the suggestions from the community members who wanna make sure the district remains a safe and thriving neighborhood. That is something we have in common. I've heard your concerns about how quickly this initiative and shelter is moving forward. I understand your concerns. I live in this neighborhood too. And I must balance the timeline with the understanding that if this shelter does not open, it could mean life and death for some families this winter. I am working with the mayor's team to make sure that this happens successfully. I also have heard from countless community members who support the mayor's initiative and know that Southeast Denver 
is a great place for families and children. And I want to thank the people who have come to our office with bags and boxes full of donations for the shelter. Your generosity has brought me to tears numerous times. It hasn't just been adults. It hasn't just been people within the community. We've had kids from the high school, from elementary schools come and bring things for the shelter. While it's not always obvious or visible, there are many families experiencing homelessness throughout Denver, including Southeast Denver. We can be a part of the solution as we have many opportunities available that support children and family success. Denver is looking to see what kind of community we are in District 4. And I know we are a district that is generous and thoughtful and engaged. And I will continue to ask Mayor Johnston and the city staff for resources that will ensure that District 4 is successful and has ongoing city support as we open this new family shelter. And it's not just for the shelter, it's for all of us. When I was a child, my family was part of integrating this neighborhood. This is not my story alone. There are many others since me that call Southeast Denver home. My advocacy for children and families is not new. It has been foundational throughout my career. And I have worked with children and families and organizations throughout our city and the metro area for over 30 years. The thread that we all share is the recognition that children and young people are not only our future, they are also our present. They don't get to vote. They rely on the adults in the community to work together in our schools, in our nonprofits, in our city agencies, so that they can have a childhood. I'm not talking about, I, I am talking about all of our children, not just those who need shelter, but those who have shelter, who have a home. Holding our most vulnerable in our community isn't easy. This work is not only the heart work, it is hard work. And I'm sorry for getting so emotional. The investment we make today has a generational impact. We as a city have been through redlining, a zoning determination of who can live where, who receives loans, who feels welcome. We have a city that has been through busing, knowing our schools were segregated and needing integration. We talk about community schools today. And I know firsthand the busing experience. This issue of homelessness is an issue nationwide, statewide, and in our city. And now is the time for us to do something. My parents worked hard to ensure a better life for us, but no one does this alone, and we can do it together as a community. Fear should not drive this decision-making. We absolutely need accountability to good programming, to good support, and to resources. In the spirit of the holidays, I encourage my fellow council members to vote yes tonight. For District 4 constituents, I hear you. And we had a faith leader tell us today their hope for our community, and I agree. May compassion and humanity find ways to draw us together. I encourage you in welcoming these families into our Southeast Denver community. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Council President.
Thank you. Councilwoman Gilmore. Thank you, Council President. I wanna thank uh, the folks who testified tonight during the public hearing and those who have emailed as well. And I wanna sincerely thank Councilwoman Romero Campbell for your leadership and support of this use in your neighborhood and council district. I'd also like to thank my council colleagues for their constructive and critical feedback to the administration and making sure that bills that are brought forward for consideration will foster equity in our city when we are working together and supporting those who are most vulnerable in our city. Every neighborhood must participate in sheltering people, be it newcomers who are migrants or folks experiencing homelessness. It cannot only be concentrated in communities of color or those neighborhoods that have experienced historic disinvestment. We have been talking pretty simplistic about placing a shelter in every council district without consideration for neighborhoods that many times are split into two different council districts. It's also simplistic to have an arbitrary split about how we talk about homeless or newcomers because we need to be talking about them together for transparency and understanding for and by the public. I appreciate the shift in talking about them as an entire group tonight. The map on slide two in the presentation doesn't truly represent the sheltering that is taking place within our neighborhoods because for safety, we can't and will not disclose the location of newcomer shelters. This is the correct action, but again, it doesn't truly represent the sheltering happening in our neighborhoods. I'm going to address my comments with regard to neighborhoods because that's how residents identify where they live. For example, in the Montbello statistical neighborhood where I've lived for 35 years, our neighborhood has been sheltering both newcomers and homeless individuals. The current count sheltered in the Montbello statistical neighborhood is 299 beds, and that does not include children and infants. In the Gateway GVR statistical neighborhood, the current count of newcomers sheltered is 340 beds. Again, that number does not include children and infants. In the statistical neighborhoods of Montbello, and Green Valley Ranch, there are currently over 600 beds being provided for those most in need in our city. Again, every neighborhood must participate so that we are addressing the need and equity in this process to shelter our most vulnerable. This hotel will provide important shelter for families and children in our city. I will be supporting this bill tonight. Thank you, Council President Torres. Thank you, Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, Madam President. Um, I first wanna start off by thanking Councilman Flynn, um, AKA Perry Mason for um, breaking down some really critical information um, and ensuring that we had all of that information before us. I also really want to thank Councilwoman Romero Campbell 
for your um, leadership and um, for the efforts that you have made um, during this entire process. Um, you know, as your council member at large for the residents of District 4, um, you know, I, I have to take um, a serious look at things as we look at the entire city, as we look at it through a lens of equity. And that's what I am devoted to doing and what I said I would do um, when seeking to fill this position. I want to also give my appreciation to the people that showed up tonight to speak on, on both sides of this matter. As a former social caseworker, worked right here in this city uh, for Denver Human Services for many years, and I've worked with kids and families right here in the city and county of Denver for the last 20 years. These are families who have faced extreme barriers to accessing their basic needs. And I will tell you, just as recent as when I left my last job, just as in June, July of this year, housing was the number one issue that families were facing. Instability for families, which led to issues around truancy, leads to issues around juvenile justice involvement, child welfare involvement, all of these other systems becoming involved because of that instability of housing. We heard someone earlier uh, mentioned Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And yes, we learned that in our psycho psychology 101 classes, but we also practice it when we're, uh, you know, in the profession of social work. And it tells us that in order to reach self-actualization, where you are living to your highest potential, you need the most basic fundamental needs, psychological and safety, food, water, sleep, and housing. I also, um, you know, because I, I'm a little geek in, in psychology, looking at the American Psychological Association, they state on the effects of homelessness on children, and I'll quote, homelessness can have a tremendous impact on children from their education, physical and mental health, sense of safety and overall development. Children experiencing homelessness frequently need to worry about where they will live their pets, their belongings, and other family members. In addition, homeless children are less likely to have adequate access to medical and dental care and may be affected by a variety of health challenges due to inadequate nutrition and access to food, education, interruptions, trauma, and disruption in family dynamics. I'm also a mom. I have three kids. My kids don't have to worry about where they lay their heads at night. My kids don't have to worry about their pets, because we are able to keep them safe and sheltered and fed. You know, I'm hearing people say that they want more time, that they, they, they need us to slow things down. And that is so hard because we are in a moment of crisis. We've been in a moment of crisis for a long time. And as government, we are often criticized for taking too long to do things. To slow, and now we're, we're also being criticized because people want us to slow down. But we are, I think, moving right now at the right pace to quickly address this urgent need. The last thing I'll say is that I don't see this, you know, for the folks that are concerned, I hear you. But I also hear you saying, majority of you, that 
you agree that we need to figure out what the path is and we agree that we should find a, a solution and, and help folks that are our most vulnerable. So this is not about villainizing anyone. And if you feel that you're being villainized, I, I ask you to, to do some self-reflection on that because this is not about villainizing, this is about humanizing. Humanizing the people in our city that are amongst our most vulnerable and that need our help. I'm proud to be a co-sponsor of this resolution um, and proud to vote in favor of it. So thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, Madam President. And thank you to the members of the public who showed up this evening and who showed up on Saturday. Sorry if you can't hear me, we all were exposed to COVID and so we're doing our best to not bring COVID, to COVID home to our families over the week, uh, holiday weekend. So thank you to everyone who showed up and everyone who showed up on Saturday. When we ran for city council, this is what democracy looks like. It looks like different voices coming together and having your elected representatives make a decision. Make a decision that's not very easy to make. I'll say this. Uh, as my colleague mentioned, I've also thought of Maslow's hierarchies of need. It was in 2016 that I was a council aide for my predecessor when right here in these council chambers, the 2016 Denver Social Impact Bond was being discussed. It was bringing housing to 200, over 200 chronically homeless people in Denver experiencing homelessness. It was a very robust conversation. And I remember writing my boss's talking points and I used that same term. We have to use Maslow's hierarchies of need. We have to look at the base of the pyramid where breathing, food, water, shelter, sleep, and clothing are the base of that pyramid. And you have to start there to get to the top. In 2016, people did not want those experiencing homelessness in their backyard. They were afraid it was gonna bring crime they were afraid it was going to be drugs. It was afraid they were going to have more calls for services. And I'll tell you, the Denver Social Impact Bond went under scrutiny and was studied by the Urban Institute. The supportive program provided housing subsidy plus supportive services focused on helping residents stay housed. The Social Impact Bond Initiative used a housing first approach. That's what we are talking about this evening, a housing first approach. The Social Impact Bond, which aims to quickly get people into housing without requiring participants to meet preconditions or requirements such as entertaining treatment, achieving sobriety, or to provide participants with the found, but to provide participants with the foundation to improve their lives. The study came out with this. Denver Social Impact Bond participants spent significantly fewer nights in shelters. Participants had fewer interactions with police. Participants spent less time in jail. Participants spent less time in detox facilities. And most importantly, 
the Denver Social Impact Bond has been remarkably successful. The program demonstrated with the offer of housing and the right to support, people can exit homelessness and remain housed. It also showed that investment in supportive housing can decrease police interactions and arrests, disrupt jail cycling, and reduce the detox detoxification facilities. In the end of this report, it said, scaling up investments in supportive housing could end homelessness, break the homelessness jail cycle, and shift resources towards services that focus on the well-being of people and communities. The first report came out in 2019 when I was elected. The final report has come out. I am here to stand in solidarity with my, our colleague, Diana Romero Campbell, and other of my colleagues who had to have this housing first model stood up in their neighborhoods. It's not easy. I am house, have, having a housing first model for migrants stood up in my community right now. And I will tell you, the emails I'm getting are brutal. Mm -hmm. The racism is brutal. The attacks saying that they're going to do such and such to me are brutal. It's hard to go to sleep at night when you get those type of emails, those type of phone calls, and all you want are people to be housed. That's all we're doing here, people, is we're using a housing first model approach. And what I don't want us to do in this time of giving, and I was so inspired by how 2000 years ago, government caused a family to have sleep at the, uh, in, shelter, basically, not in the end. There was no room because of government. So thank you, Pastor, for reminding us that during this holiday season of giving back. And so I just ask all of you to look in your heart. And these people have names. They have stories. They have families. And they have, really do have people who love them. And all we're doing at the city council is using data-driven policy approach called Housing First Model. So thank you, Diana Romero-Campbell, for your steadfast leadership. And thank you, colleagues, for all that you're doing in each of your respective council districts to just, we're just barely touching on the tip of the iceberg. We have much more work to do. And I stand in solidarity with each and every one of you. And I hope you stand in solidarity with our councilwoman, Romero, Diana Romero Campbell and vote yes on 1968 for a housing first solution. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilwoman Lewis. Thank you, Madam President. <clears throat> um, with so many living so close to the brink of crisis, it can be understandably hard to remember to center compassion in our decision-making. Concern gives way to resentment and the urge to isolate yourself and blame the other for your own predicament is understandable. Especially if, like so many children of the 70s and the 80s are experiencing, you have done everything you were raised to do correctly, but still find yourself falling short. Communities across our country are feeling the compounded impact of crises occurring across our globe. Inflation, wage stagnation, and a runway rise in residential real estate have pushed many to a point of instability in their finances that has 40% of Americans only one missed paycheck away from living in federally recognized poverty. What we know is that Housing First Solutions, according to HMIS data, 
have an 87% success rate of helping people navigate from living on our streets to finding permanent supportive housing. Our city as a whole needs to keep compassion centered as we find the patience to help with making data-driven decisions on the best outcome of action. Supportive housing offers the necessary foundation for someone who is homeless to build a new life, starting with something every human intrinsically deserves, a place to call home. A team of caseworkers, clinicians, and other homeless service providers create a network of compassion for that individual. And these wraparound services can be offered in mass at the type of facilities being opened by Mayor Johnson's and his teams under the House 1000 initiative. This is the mayor's vision, not the plan of any one member of this council. But I believe that with our oversight holding him accountable to his promises, it can and will be successful. We've opened more research centers in District 8 than any other corner of the city and already are seeing the benefits of having the where when we ask those camping on the streets to move along. Tonight, I encourage everyone to follow the lead set in my neighborhood and say yes. It's time to center compassion in this crisis. We're discussing human beings, our neighbors. I'm asking that we recognize the real value of human life, not as a line item in a budget, not as some far away hypothetical, and not as a boogeyman hiding in the shadows, but as the whole person we would meet on the streets. And I could not be more proud of Councilwoman Romero Campbell for her leadership and for standing in her truth and her convictions to make sure that we get folks housed. So thank you so much. Thank you, Councilwoman. Councilman Flint, uh, I'm sorry, Councilwoman Alvidrez. Thank you, Council President. Um, I just wanna say thank you to um, Deanna again, Councilwoman Romero Campbell. I mean, <laughs> uh, sorry, it's getting late on me. Um, but I just want to thank her for her leadership and being willing to step up in this way and thank the mayor also for his commitment to actually distributing this the way he said he would. And I know this is like a very small beginning, so there's a long way to go. And that's what I would say to the people of District 4 that are skeptical. Um, I think many people are, and I think that this is a step. It's not the perfect step. It's not the last step. It's far from that. It's just one step and we are here with your council member to make sure that um, that moving forward, things are different. Yes, our shelters right now have many, many problems and are under-resourced, under um, but that's what the goal of this is. And um, I'm just really proud of our council and proud to serve with uh, Councilwoman Diana Romero-Campbell. Thank you. Thank you, Council President. Thank you, Councilman Flynn. Thank you, Madam President. Um, over the last couple of weeks while this was going through process, I had some very difficult conversations with some longtime friends in District 4, uh, including one I've known for 42 years who lives in Southmore, and uh, another fellow who is a retired department head from one of our large city agencies here who also lives in uh, District 4. Uh, who had asked me to oppose this. And I explained to them the circumstances that uh, were embodied in some of the questions that I asked uh, here as well. And uh, 
And the bottom line, I told them, and it was alluded to in some of the testimony, is that this was a, uh, a key plank in the platform of Mayor Johnston when he ran. And I, although I hesitate to remind him and everybody else uh, that I publicly supported the other candidate in the runoff. Uh, but when the mayor ran, um, I told him pretty pointedly that um, I would, within reason, of course, support uh, the resources that he believed he needed. And again, within reason, and after examining the outlines of the, of the proposal, uh, I would support his request for the resources to try to succeed with his House 1000, which was to take 1,000, at least uh, 1,000 people who were on the streets uh, into some sort of shelter by December 31st. And uh, after examining the proposals and the resources that we voted on up until now, and including this one, uh, I just want to remind everybody that that ends in 13 days, December 31st. And I hope to have from the mayor's team uh, shortly after that, as shortly as or as quickly as can be compiled, a list of the actions and the costs and the results of the House 1000. I think we're all looking for that. Um, and frankly, that is the primary reason that I will vote in favor of this is because the people of Denver elected this person based in large part on this pledge. And uh, true to my word to the mayor, after he won, I will support within reason, and this is, I believe this is within reason, uh, the resources he says he needs to do that. And I look forward to a reconciliation after January 1st as to how successful this was. And um, with that, I will be also voting yes for this tonight. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilman Cashman. Yeah, thank you, Madam President. Uh, my colleagues have, have spoken very eloquently. Um, uh, I'll start by um, uh, echoing and adding uh, my support for, for my colleague uh, in, in District 4, Councilwoman Romero Campbell. Um, you know, I, I was at the meeting uh, on Saturday and heard some people saying that they had, they had phoned her office and not had a response, or they had emailed her office and not had a response. Um, I talked to the woman and her staff on a daily basis, and they're responding at warp speed. And those 800, almost 1,000 people that were at Hamilton Junior High are calling her office and emailing her office. On a normal day, our, our staff is busy responding to the normal flow. When, when you get a situation like this, um, it is not unusual, yeah, that some calls don't get answered in anywhere near what we would like like that to happen. I know where the councilwoman's heart is and it, it's in the community she lives in. She's, she doesn't live in Brighton and drives in to her job as a councilwoman. We're talking about her community as well as people on all sides of this issue. Um, uh, for me, um, this, this is a, a quantum shift in the way we're approaching homelessness in Denver, we're simply no longer willing to accept it as a way of life. You know, I, I hear people concerned about property value in their community. And uh, I 
firmly believe that all of our property values right now are depressed a bit, as high as rents can be and, and mortgages can be. I think they're depressed a bit because Denver has gotten that reputation like a lot of other cities where homelessness has gotten out of control mm -hmm. and people aren't comfortable with that. And I think by addressing it, all of our property values are going to stabilize at a minimum, if not go up. But, you know, and I've heard members uh, and I had some great conversations with people on all sides of this on Saturday at Hamilton. And, uh, um, you know, this is people wanting it to slow down, slow down the pace. This is an emergency. When we have a flood, people don't say, well, let's form a task force and let's wait three months while we figure out exact, you know, you know where I'm going. We build a bridge for $3 million that we are quite sure a couple of months down the road, we're going to have to tear out and put another 15 million into building a, a, a long-term bridge. And there are bumps along the way. My commitment to the people of, of District 4, to, to people all around the city, I think it's right to expect if we're going to house whatever it is, whether it's a micro community, a hotel for, for families, that we do everything possible to not only ensure the safety of the people in the building, but the safety of the surrounding community. I think um, regardless of whether this hotel were to go in or not, we have an obligation to the business communities, our, our small businesses throughout the city that are struggling to up our investment in, in ensuring their health as well. Um, uh, I am very thankful to the residents in, in District 4 that have expressed their willingness to welcome this project and to lean in and help make it a success. And uh, I look forward to supporting this. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilman Watson. Thank you, Council President. Um, thank you to each of the residents that showed up on Saturday in District 4 and that made comments uh, tonight. I, I, we appreciate your, your willingness to engage in this democratic process. Uh, Thank you also, Councilwoman Romero Campbell, uh, for your leadership on this. I stand in solidarity with you and will be voting in favor of this tonight. Uh, let me share a little bit. And I wanna begin first um, with a comment on process. Yes, <laughs> the communication all around during this crisis, uh, this process could have been, it should have been better. I don't think there's anyone engaged. I know I can speak for myself as a city council member um, we can can do better um, with how we communicate. I take ownership to continue increasing communication and engagement with residents in District 9 on this crisis and each of the issues of import to my and our residents. Council District 9 is the home of the majority of service providers and sheltering spaces in the city, from Five Points to Ballpark to Globeville, Galeria, and Swansea neighborhoods. We are the home to migrant services, including the Migrant Welcome Center, tiny homes, and several motels. They serve both newcomers to our city, as well as residents currently unsheltered. We are a far richer community because of this generational support. We are honored for our generational support and leadership in D9 in finding housing for the unsheltered 
and we will continue to be a leader in doing this. To our neighbors in District 4, what I heard even from the neighbors uh, that communicated lack of support of signing um, for so lack of support for the signing of this contract, the majority that shared support and compassion for being a part of the solution, the majority of you shared that you wanted to be a part of this. I am confident that as a community in collaboration with our council member, um, council member Romero Campbell and the administration, you will make a home for these families. The work continues. And as I stated to the beginning, I'll be voting yes on this contract. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilwoman Sawyer. I'm muted. Let me get off mute there. Thank you, Madam President. Um, and I, I just want to say thank you to everyone who came out tonight. Um, to those people who are in support, I stand with you. Um, and I, I, I too would like to share my gratitude with Councilmember Romero Campbell for her leadership in this. Um, for those of you who came out against, I don't blame you one bit. I share your concerns. I feel them too. You are talking to a group of people who found out that we were misled by the mayor's office in a Denverite article. That's not transparent and it's not fair to us and it's not fair to the residents of our city. But at the end of the day, I am a mother. My daughter goes to school with some of these kids who are gonna be housed in the shelter and I know their families and they, we have a responsibility as leaders to give them a better life. In short, we need this housing. And I can tell you, I mentioned earlier um, in this council meeting that we have an annual survey that we do of our residents every year. And since 2020, the number one issue in my council district is crime. Um, when I hear our police chief, who I trust deeply, say that he believes that this is the right choice, that our police support this because it will mean that our officers will have more bandwidth to respond to other uh, crises, that is incredibly valuable feedback to me and incredibly important. And I think it is incredibly important to my residents as well. Um, I have been the loudest voice up here, I think, saying, slow down. This is, this is an emergency, but the process has been, not, un, let's say it's, it's been, not been smooth. Um, and at the end of the day, I was talking to a council member the other day and about this, and I said, we either are process people or we are results people. And we have to decide who we are in situations like this. And our city needs results. And so I am supportive of this um, because we have got to house people. We have so many more people coming to our city. We have people who are actively avoiding our downtown area, the lifeblood of our city. Um, and we can't have that. We've got to have this change. And it's incredibly uncomfortable. And it's incredibly um, stressful for everyone involved, but it is also incredibly important. We have an opportunity here as council members to stand up and do something different than what we have been doing over and over and over again, expecting the same results. And so um, I hear you to those of you who came uh, to speak against this and I agree with you. I will commit to you that I will continue to push our mayor's office for transparency, for honesty, 
for truthfulness. Um, I, I know major peace. I know the Salvation Army staff, and I know that they are up for this challenge and honored to take this challenge on. Um, and so it's incredibly difficult, but I am very, very supportive of this because at the end of the day, we have to be results people. And that means we've got to house people. Thank you. Thanks, Madam President. Thank you very much. Um, I was happy to sign on as the co-sponsor. I want to thank Councilwoman Romero Campbell for um, not just engaging up until now, but continuing to do so um, in support of her community as uh, um, somebody whose family did experience uh, homelessness. Um, this is a, a this is a light for some of those families. This is um, peace for some of those families, and um, fully support and thank those from District Four um, and uh, those throughout our community who are supportive of these efforts. Um, seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call, please, on Resolution 1968. Alvidras, aye. Hines? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes, Council Resolution 1968 has passed. Thank you all. On uh, Tuesday, January 16th, 2024, Council will hold a required public hearing on Council Bill 23-1716, changing the zoning classification for 4001-4021 North Fillmore Street in Elyria, Swansea. And on Monday, January 22nd, 2024, Council will hold a required public hearing on Council Bill 1837, changing the zoning classification for 1034 South University Boulevard in Belcaro. Any protests against 716 must be filed at the Council office no later than noon on Monday, January 8th, 2024. Protests against Council Bill 1837 must be filed with the office no later than noon on Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. On Tuesday, February 20th, Council will hold a required public hearing on Council Bill 18, excuse me, 1569, changing the zoning classification for multiple properties in City and County of Denver. Any protests against 1569 must be filed with the office no later than noon on Monday, February 12th. There being no further business before this body, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you, everyone. Could really taste the lobster in there. Cooked al dente. Flavors are just bursting out of here. They've been only open since August, but this place is already becoming a big deal in Evergreen. When we walked into the Lariat Lodge, I was like, this place feels like home. And so I asked the manager, what did this place used to be? And sure enough, it was a home for the clergy for the church across the street. It was originally built in the 1930s. And what they're doing here, it's a gastro pub and then they make their own beers here 
They're actually canning them at their second location that they opened recently, and they have eight different beers sold in cans, available at both locations, and look